The new, improved sound quality of Strange Assembly is brought to you by www.l5rsearch.com. L5rsearch.com is a comprehensive online L5R card database with tools to assist in optimizing your decks, proxying cards, or simply finding out about unusual cards. Once you know what you need, L5rshop.com puts it in your hands quickly and economically. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly here at Gen Con 2011 with a chunk of the Legend of the Five Rings story team, Sean Carmen. Hi. <laughs> Nancy Sauer. Hello. Fred Wan. Hello. And the non-story team, Trevor Valentine. Oh, what was that, Trevor? Oh, yeah, sadly, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, of course. We're all now. The audience just hears us laughing to the joke of yours that we can't hear. We we have uh, four microphones with our nice new audio setup. So Trevor's just going to have to yank the the mic off of me, my my head, whenever he wants to ask something. So last year, for those of you who who listened, we mostly with the story team interview focused on things that had already happened and and just general sort of things like that this year we're going to try to get a little bit more into the the present and the future given the time jump and that there's probably a lot of there, there may be some detail to be talked about that you know isn't going to be a spoiler or wouldn't have ended up in a fiction anyway of course the story team may still tell me to shove off depending on what the particular question is We'll try to be more a little more diplomatic than that. I think that telling me to shove off would probably entertain our listeners more. <laughs> Let's start broadly. Sean, on the AEG forums, you had started a thread called A Critical Postmortem of CE, where you were, for some reason, basically asking people to come in and tell you that you sucked. So let's start with your guys' take on that. What were the things that you think were bad or not as good as they they should have been or as good as that you'd hope that they'd be with Celestial Edition? And how do you plan to address those things so that they don't crop up again in Emperor Edition? Well, there's a lot of things uh, that came up either in the thread or that, that we kind of had on our radar already. Some of them were surprising and some weren't. Uh, I think the primary failing of the story in Celestial Edition is that it just it drug on in parts too long. And I consider that predominantly my fault. Um, I had the, the, the majority of the arc outlined, uh, you know, by month-by-month -month basis as to what was going to happen throughout the course of the two years. Uh, and then when, uh, you know, we made the call to, to make the arc longer in order to shift the release of the next base set, we were fairly, it was fairly late in the process in terms of, of where we were. And uh, I, I decided I didn't want to try and redo everything because they, were, they would cause a cascade of, you know, correcting things that were already in process and whatnot. So I just tried to uh, reconfigure it a little bit uh, to make it fit. And I, I, in retrospect, I don't think it worked very well. Um, I should have just manned up and, uh, and, re and redone it from scratch. But fortunately, that's a fairly unique problem that shouldn't repeat itself. At the end of, I'm sure that, no one remembers it. Uh, but at the end of the last arc, 
you know, we had a fair amount of, there were people who were saying, I don't want to fight, you know, we're, the, the, the discussion had veered a little bit toward, you know, what clans were going to fight one another in the new arc. And there was a, a general consensus of, you know, that a lot of the conflicts had already been played out, that, you know, this clan had already fought this clan and this clan. And so the next one in line was this one, and that didn't make any sense. Uh, and so with the storyline, we went for an external threat to allow for storylines that focus more on the clans working collaboratively. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's a bad idea. Uh, I think that uh, I personally at least was surprised by the number of people who were upset that they couldn't play the external threat as a carded faction. And so that was it. I mean, we, we always knew that we wanted Celestial Edition to be a, a more of a military, more of a war story, uh, so we could do kind of a different things with it. But, you know, and, and, and I think the most I think the most accurate criticism that came out of the thread was probably that we focused too much on the global events and not much on individual characters. Uh, and so, you know, the, the plot line became the focus rather than the individual characters. And that's just generally not how the game has, has run, worked in the past when it's been on its, its really high notes. So that's something we want to address uh, pretty, pretty rigid, rigorously in the, in the next arc. Okay. You mentioned times when the, the game was on high notes. Now, recently on the AEG forums, Rusty, who was here last year but was not able to come down to Gen Con this year, opined that he thought that the Celestial Edition story was the best story that had been told in L5R. Where do you three think that the Celestial Edition story rates compared to prior L5R story arcs? I generally don't try to rate them myself. Um, I understand that the player perception is, is generally, and I don't, I don't know that it'll ever change, the, the player perception is always going to be that Clan War was the best. I mean, it was first, everything was virgin territory, everything was Shiny new. And new. Yeah, you know, you could fill in the gaps because with it, you know, because every time the new fiction came out, you were learning, you know, enormous new bits of information about the clans and the empire. You know, Rusty is a, a storyteller by, you know, by trade. You know, he's a, he's a slam poet and everything. And so I think for him, I think he, he really appreciates the fact that, you know, we told a, a story that, uh, I don't want to say there was less fan interaction, but, you know, more of the, the core plot line was determined by us than in previous arcs, you know, where a lot of it has been guided more by the fan base. And, uh, and I think he appreciated it on that level. And so, you know, he, I don't really agree or disagree with him. I think that the the average consensus of the fan base would probably disagree with him, but that's not my place. It's not my place to to speak one way or the other. I don't. I don't. I don't really rate it. I feel comfortable saying I think it's better than Hidden Emperor because I wasn't writing Hidden Emperor, and I still don't really have a complete <laughs> comprehension of what happened then. But that was, you know, that was a product of the time and the circumstances surrounding it. So, you know, anybody can make with that that one, I guess. Uh, I kind of keep track of fondly remembered fictions and fondly remembered rivalries and so on. Um, I don't normally rank arcs because I don't think players think in terms of arcs. Like, uh, even, even in terms of Clan War, people talk about Day of Thunder. There's a few rivalries from Clan War that people point, point to as well, but really when people say, this was awesome, it was Day of Thunder. And so I kind of, at, every once in a while, I just tally up what the really remembered characters and stories from arcs were. And I haven't done that like for CE yet, so it'd be hard for me to rank how many of those memorable notes are there that will probably resonate like five or six years from now. But like assuming 
you know, two, three, four months from now, I'd probably be able to say, here's some of the things I think people will always remember about CE. I don't rank ARCs for things that way. Um, I mean, I don't just generally rank anything. I don't have a favorite character, and I don't have a favorite song. Um, I think overall, my favorite arc, um, and I started playing in Pearl, so the tail end of the Hidden Emperor arc. Um, my favorite is Samurai, not just because I got to work on it, but because it had a lot of internal conflict and the Empire, and so it had a lot of the, the small-scale stories that I enjoy reading. And from that standpoint, I really liked that one, and I liked Gold for the same reason, because the Gold arc featured a lot of internal conflict where there wasn't necessarily any big bad guy, there were just people with conflicting agendas. And I just, you know, that's the kind of fiction that I like best. I'm trying to avoid immediately derailing the rest of the conversation. Oh, go ahead. <clears throat> Let's get the elephant out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> Not uh, you, Brian. The other elephant. <laughs> Bri- Brian is also in the room uh, laughing at the uh, the store teams interview, and he, he, he made to leave when I, I talked about the elephant <laughs> leaving the the room. Okay, well, let's, let's at least hit on the elephant. They, there's going to be a bunch of questions that tie one way or another back into it, in part just because it also is the transition into the new arc. But Fred, I mean, you... I mean, you talked about what people remember about Clan War. A lot of times they don't talk about the Clan War as a whole. They talk about the Day of Thunder. Mm-hmm. You know, this event that wraps up the end of the arc. Mm-hmm. Sitting here, unless, unless one has gone up this afternoon, the most recent fiction. Uh, yes, as Fred also notices that I, any time I talk about time, I look at blank wrists that have no, no watches on them whatsoever. Unless one went up this afternoon, the most recent fiction we're recording this is Goddesses Part 4. If that a big moment end of arc fiction is what people tend to remember, and at least so far, people seem to have had a very heavily negative reaction to that fiction, is that a problem for how people will remember Celestial Arc? Is it just going to become the arc that ended with that fiction I didn't like? Well, I would have possibly agreed with you before coming to Gen Con that it was a highly negative response. Now, maybe people don't come up to me unless they have something nice to say, or, or maybe, you know, because they don't want to, like, be in your face about it. I've never had that problem. Well, people don't like me, so... Um, no, but, but, no, I mean, yeah. I've had people come up and say negative things okay. to me. But at Gen Con, the responses I have gotten have not been as negative as they have been online. In fact, they've been positive. Like, th- there have been several people who've come up and said they loved it, or that they noticed a conscious parallel between the, the final scene with Fu Lang and Kaylee Ma and Day of Thunder, and that they liked that. So I'm not sure, because my sample size isn't big enough, what the overall impression of this fiction is. I do think there are people who feel very strongly negative about it. I do think there are people who loved it. I'm not sure what the relative populations of both are. I'm trying to find out. Well, you get there was, a, of course, certainly the response in the thread was at least, I would say, 50% negative, yes. But, I mean, I got, I, I got, I had to get at least a dozen PMs on the forum from people who said that they really enjoyed it, yeah. but they didn't want to post in the thread because the atmosphere was, was you know, 
not not all that pleasant and whatnot. And then I've had I've had people come up. I've had one person come up and tell me that they didn't like the fiction uh, since I've been here at the show. I've had about half a dozen come up and tell me that they did like it. And then I've had two or three come up and say that they're not sure, but they're they're interested to see what happened. So that's you know, to me it's important that people cared about it. I knew it was going to be extremely polarizing. Um, and I didn't really have a problem with that. Uh, I, I think I probably underestimated exactly how polarizing it would be, but I tend to do that, I guess. But, I, you know, I really don't regret it. I think it was necessary, you know, the outline for the, the broad, in broad strokes, what we were going to do had been around for, you know, months, if not years, uh, you know, and what we just filled in some gaps based on, on tournament performance and, and, you know, point donation and things of that sort. And, uh, it is what it is, and, and, you know, there were people who were going to hate it regardless. There are people who, were, who didn't like it because of very legitimate uh, shortcomings that it had, and I don't, I don't deny that. There, there are things that I could have done differently, but, that, you know, when you hit 5,500 words, you begin to think, well, maybe I don't really need that scene. Things out. But so, you know, in the grand scheme of things, um, I think it was necessary to pave the way with what we're doing in Emperor, and... I'm okay with it. I mean, if people look back on it less than fondly, you know, there are moments that we all look back on and things don't make a lot of sense. But, you know, I, I, I certainly am not naive enough to think that everybody's going to love what I do all the time. So I'm okay with it. But in answer to the original question, um, I think we could say, I would hope that at least, at least a sizable minority, if not a majority of players, I hope, would see that CE kind of marks a change in how the empire relates to the world and and the kinds of stories that can be told because of that change in context. Well, I guess that'll depend on what Where, you what guys write over it. the next yeah, several months. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> of course, that's always true. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. That's universal. What aspects of the, the goddess's story, either in part four specifically or in the whole thing were things that you added in based on tournament results as opposed to things that had been sort of laid out as necessary for the plot well, the, over uh, the last several years? Primarily, I'm thinking of the result of the conflict between Fuling and Kalima and Daigoksu and his involvement. That had we, we mapped out scenarios that could have gone a number of different ways uh, with, that three, with, with those three based on uh, you know, the point donations, of course, the, you know, the, the spiders, Jigoku versus the Empire thing was very hotly contested last year, uh, and that had a, a tremendous amount of, of impact on who won. Um, and then, you know, the number of the previous two Kotais had, you know, the points being donated to this, that, or the other. And, uh, and you know, I have a spreadsheet that kind of condenses it all down for me so that I can make sense of it, but generally speaking, when I have that in front of me, doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense all the time. Um, so I can't say for sure, but I mean, I, you know, th- it was based on a, a number of factors. Uh, and, and, you know, points donated, you know, votes. There was the, a couple of Imperial Assembly votes as to whether, you know, like there was the situation where Daigotsu spoke to the Empress earlier in the arc and things like that. Um, uh, just, just a number of things. And then some of it was just, you know, fiat. You know, I needed to do a certain thing, and, uh, and I did it. And, I, you know, I was... Earlier on, I was, in, earlier in the arc, I had some anxiety about the, the, the magnitude of the things that we were doing, but ultimately it was, uh, I feel, necessary and, and uh, for the betterment of the, of the story in the long run. So by the time I actually got around to writing it and publishing it, I, I had decided I was fine with it. So. 
let's ask about something uh, other than that. The Ebon Daughter was the big villain, the, the, I guess the face of the, the bad guys at the start of CE. She was a big part of the presentation here at Gen Con two years ago, three years ago, whenever that was. And there was a lot of noise about her early on. We got to see stuff about, uh, I guess, how she became the Ebon Daughter in the Legend of the Burning Sands RPG book. And then there's this fiction where Daigatsu shakes her around like a ragdoll, and then she kind of vanishes for a year and a half, and then she pops back up again uh, just to die. The broad question is, what happened with that? Or, I mean, was she intended, was she never intended to be that big a long-term threat, or did something change in the plan? She was always planned to be more of an insidious threat. I mean, the threat she represented was that she had given... The, you know, all the knowledge to the destroyers that they required, and the, primarily that she was at the forefront of the plague, which, you know, we have seen in the fiction has had a, a you know, extremely detrimental effect on the clans, and which we'll, we, we will continue to see over the next couple of months, and even up to uh, the release of Empire Edition, you know, the, the, the results of the clan's struggle against the plague in the, the honor, the honor, the one that was against the plague in the Megan, yeah, uh, the, you know, there were plenty of them who didn't didn't come out too well in that in that on that axis of the mega game, and so that's going to impact what their status is at the beginning of the next arc. I mean, it's it's very much shaping, you know, the landscape of in the next in the next story that we're going to tell. So I, I never envisioned the Ebon Daughter as a you know a mystical powerhouse on the on the on the scale of you know, an arc villain. You know, Kali Ma was always the big bad in this storyline, and she had she had several major weapons in her pocket, but to me, the Evan Daughter was more of, uh, uh, more of the, the cunning threat. You know, the, to me, there was no notion that she could take Daigosu when they were confronting each other, because that's just not the kind of, not the kind of thing that she represented in the story. And then there were some complaints um, when the story came out where she was defeated uh, and killed, which, you know, to some extent, I understand that completely, probably because I, I didn't represent her you know, my picture of her did not come across in the fiction, I think, to some of the fans, the way that I, I thought I saw her. And, but by, by some token, too, I mean, to me, you have to have, uh, you know, the Empire has come out on top sometimes, and they did defeat, the, you know, the plague, and so she was the source of the plague, so I, I wanted them to have a resounding victory. And you can't have every confrontation turn into this huge, epic Dragon Ball Z fight, because then they just, <laughs> it loses all meaning, right? I mean, if they had a huge, they'd already, I believe that was, post God Beast and we already had this huge battle with the God Beast and then there was gonna be this huge battle at the end. And if I just stuck another one in the middle, you know, it it, it you know, you can't always go one bigger or else you just end up not being able to do anything. So I you know to to answer your question, no, she w- there there wasn't anything that changed. There was probably just a, a failure on my part to present her consistently with my internal with my internal metric of her. Uh, you know, Iuchi Yu was a family daimyo and was a powerful Shugenja. And then she became corrupted and evil, but that didn't automatically make her, you know, a fallen angel or anything. She was just she was just a powerful Shugenja who was a, a significant threat, but the, you know, other people of equal or greater power managed to uh, plant her demise rather effectively. Do you think that in retrospect, I mean, you would have liked to have spent more time talking about the handful of named villains in the the horde i noticed that was one of the 
the the critiques that came up in the the thread you started is that oh we just saw these faceless things and you had some villains out there like the Ebon Daughter and Kethtet and and Legulus but the Rakshasa had his big to do with with Benjiro but the others didn't seem to get used that much well not yet anyway well I don't they I didn't they didn't necessarily do you didn't see the body so they're not necessarily dead some of them will probably be lingering on the scene in Empire Edition in one way or another. Okay. Um, you know, we, we had another thing that came up a lot, I think, in the thread was the 15 challenges. Uh, and that was, at one point, a big deal about the art moving forward. But then we had, I think I counted, like, there were four transitions between brand managers yeah. between then and now. And so a lot of focus shifted around during the course of the story. You know, one person would want to, I think, you know, this is the really, the really point we need to focus on to really sell it, or this is the point, or whatever. Um, and it just it shifted around, and at some point, that just kind of fell by the wayside. You know, I can still, like, I had, the, I had a list of them, what all 15 were, and the majority of them appeared in one form or another, if even briefly. Um, several of them have been eliminated. Um, you know, the Ghoul Lord was one. Uh, the God Beast was one. Kali Ma, and then... Uh, at one point, we mentioned, you know, just in, just in a, I guess, a, a moment of weakness, I thought, well, I should at least mention them all, right? And then we mentioned, like, some Rashari sorceress who was killed commanding a legion of destroyers in one of the destroyer war fiction. But several of them are still around as of Kali Ma's demise, and some of them, you know, are obviously, they were devout zealots uh, in the cult of the destroyer, and they're not just going to, oh, well, she's dead, I guess I'll, I'll go home. You know, it's not going to work quite like that. There's some of them that are going to linger around. And they're very patient. So, you know, some of them will be an immediate threat, and we'll see them during the, the time jump. Uh, and some of them, you know, some of them we may not even know what they're doing until they show up sometime in the Amperdition arc. You mentioned the death of the, the Ghoul Lord. That was, he, he was taken out by the Gampuku gang, who were last seen mostly getting suckered by Shahai and Fu Lang. They're very, uh, they're very pliable. <laughs> The kids these days. Yeah. I guess there will be other questions like this later about other characters, but certainly their role in those events has earned them some animosity from some players. Overall, will the Gampuku Gang's story carry on? Will they have the chance to, I guess, redeem themselves or, or something, or either as, as a group or as individuals, or is their role pretty much done? They're, they will... Obviously, several of them survive, and, you know, Fred and I have talked about them over the, off and on over the course of the arc, and we don't know, you know, I, I don't know how we are going to treat them in the time jump, the survivors. Some of them are, we, we know, are still alive at the dawn of Empire Edition because of, of some of the flavor text. However, none of them will be taking, none of them will be taking a front row seat. You know, they're, they're going to be kind of lingering in the background if they show up at all. There's a few of them that, you know, you may not know, whatever happened to them until it becomes relevant to one of the plot, the subplot. Because um, Fred has a really intriguing idea about, you know, something we can do with Akio. Um, so it's just a matter of story needs, right? I mean, their, their role in what happened in Goddesses 3 and 4 will be addressed uh, in the next few weeks, at least tangentially. You know, you'll see mention of it. You'll see important people discussing what should be done as a result. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, after that, you just kind of have to I guess we just kind of have to wait and see who, who makes it and who doesn't. Uh, but again, I, I consider their story largely finished. You know, uh, you, where do you go, right? There's nowhere to go but downhill. 
you, you, they've peaked uh, at this <laughs> point. So uh, it's just a matter of you know what, where what niche they find themselves in when it's all over with uh, 25 years from now. And the nature of some of their stories are such that they won't ever be like more than kind of an inference that you can draw that we put in there if you choose to see it. And if you don't, it's not that important, so you don't need to. Uh, some, uh, so at least one character that we have for uh, EE, which is not a member of the group, I think we could say, yeah, it's important, but you'll, you won't figure it out unless like, you really stop to think about all the... If you're looking it, for it. Yeah. No way, but that means that we won't notice it. If I recall the rule about subtlety from last year, did you have to hit people over the head with things? Uh, <laughs> it, people like having opportunities to dig up stuff for themselves. So when oh, people absolutely. find it, it's, it's, it's a nice feeling. Um, and if it's really important... We'll then make it, it obvious. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not that important and it's just there for further flavor and further immersion, then we can afford to risk having some of them just quietly go by. And like everybody, you know, hypothetically speaking, if Bayushi Kurumi is your favorite character, you know, and, you're, and then you, she doesn't show up or in no mention of her as an Emperor Edition, you know, you're going to wonder what happened to her. That guy's going to wonder what happened to her, and he's going to be keep an eye out. And then if you know one of our little references, you know, sneaks in, you know, he might be the one guy who picks up on it yeah. and then mentions it to the others, and, and you know, that way, kind of an organic. I say she's designing her own line of Rokugani evening wear. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think the one suggestion I'd see in the forums is, oh, we can see her in Emperor Edition as the old lady who's wagging her finger at the scandalously dressed <laughs> courtiers of her day. <laughs> Bitter heart. <laughs> so this this doesn't tie into any particular clan or any of the recent uh, hot button issues, but is anything ever going to happen with Odyssey and Uchi? I mean, we now we've got two festering pits already hanging around, and I don't think Otis and Uchi is corrupted in the, the same way. Is there going to be is there any plans to have any effort to reclaim that from whatever the heck is mm. in there now? I think it's fair to say that the Empire isn't sure what all of these big changes mean. So in the meantime, while you're busy rebuilding in general, do you want to necessarily look into a high-risk piece of property? <laughs> and I think the answer to that, neighbor. realistically, is it's not going to be an immediate priority because they have more pressing issues on land that isn't likely inherently to have problems to, with it. Like monster-infested jungles in another country? No. <laughs> eh, they're foreign <laughs> monsters, so they can't be as strong. Yeah. Um, but but Otosanuchi itself like, even within the Empire, what are they going to focus on rebuilding first, right? Probably not Otosanuchi. That would cover us at least the next few months of real time. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why it was I was, when I was making up the questions, I thought, like, that's been kicking out there for a while. They don't need, you know, they've got, you've got a second festering pit, pit uh, to, to hang out there now and have be a source of evil within Roku. You don't, you don't need things to be able to ooze out of Otosanuchi. It's got me thinking. Let's see. Um, I, I tried to come up with something for, for each clan, either that I observed in their conversation or that players of that clan sent in. So for the 
the crab, it seemed there were some players who were concerned that with a second festering pit now being in scorpion lands, you know, is there a threat to the, the distinctiveness of the crab as the ones who are the hardened warriors who have to deal with the Shadowlands and who really know what it, you know, what it's all like and, and, as, and as experts in that subject? I don't feel like it will, uh, because, you know, on the one hand, you, you've seen for a while the building, you know, relationship or improved relationship between the crab and the spider and the, or the scorpion. And the scorpion are going to have to lean on the crab, you know, because the crab are the expert. Um, you know, the, and with the crab, you know, now having a, you know, marginally at least diminished concern at the wall, you know, if the, if the lost aren't there and if they don't have to worry about their own men being tainted, you know, it's not as dire a uh, situation on a day-to-day basis. They can afford to focus their, their attention a little bit elsewhere. Uh, you know, they can assist the spider in making sure that that, that area is secure. And Scorpion. Then, Scorpion. What? Scorpion. I have been doing that all <laughs> weekend. It's fatigue, I guess. And I, uh, I did it with the crab and the crane. Okay, so. There, the you, crab you, you, can heard it, you heard it here, listeners. There's really not really much of a difference between the scorpion and the spider. Uh, sure. No. <laughs> that, the scorpion players well, will appreciate that, that greatly. Sure, yeah. uh, but, you know, it's, it, I, I don't consider it as diminished, no, because the, you know, the approach, the, 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 the philosophy that both clans have toward the thing that they're doing is dramatically different. And the Scorpion have a lot else uh, of other things going on anyway. Um, so I don't. I, I think of it as an, almost an opportunity for the Crab once they've reclaimed their land, uh, you know, and they, they get to be a little bit more active in the Empire at large. Um, you know, and we've never really seen the Crab... Uh, you know, they, they tend to react to things that happen in the Empire. Historically, they react to what's going on in Rokugan because they're so focused on the wall that they, don't, they haven't been proactive or they haven't been, uh, you know, aggressive or anything like that. And so now I think the Crab have an opportunity to, uh, you know, choose to broaden their horizons a little bit and say, hey, well, you know, this clan is taking us off. We should go take some other stuff or something like that. You know, not, not that I have, we don't have that plan. But I'm just saying. I'm trying you know, to remember what happened the last time the crab were proactive towards the rest of the empire. Was there some sort of massive war or something that resulted? I, I don't something along those lines. Um, I read about that. The <laughs> all of this was is with the caveat. It depends on how people like re- respond, right? Sure. But I think the core identity of the crab is more than safe based on what we've got planned. Okay. A number of crane players have expressed concern that in Goddesses Part 4, the Empress did not single out a duty for them. They're not going to the Ivory Kingdoms or watching people who are going to the Ivory Kingdoms. So I guess they want to know what's up with with that and what are they going to be doing. Well, they they all appear in the next fiction, uh, you know, where the next fiction deals with a couple of clans you know, kind of in, in, in the aftermath of what's happening, sort of reacting to everything that's going on. Uh, and so we'll see more about it then. You know, the crane being the left hand, their job has always been to preserve the, the, if, the if the right hand protects the empire's, uh, you know, the physical empire, the crane preserve the, the social or, uh, or, or, you know, the honor of the empire in terms of their, uh, you know, maintaining its social traditions, maintaining its customs. 
you know, things like that. And so that's not going to change. You know, the, the, they didn't have any immediate impact on things that happened right then just because they have suffered so, you know, they, they've taken quite a bit of damage over the past little while. You know, they, they went from several conflicts sequentially uh, to the point where during the War of Dark Fire they didn't have a tremendous number of forces to contribute um, just because they had been worn down. And then that was before, you know, they got the plague volcano that broke out in the middle of their, their territory. And, uh, and infected and, and wiped out a whole bunch of them, and then they got back up and, and attacked some of the other. So, you know, the, the crane are in pretty dire straits at the moment, um, and it remains to be seen, well, not to us, but to other people, it remains to be seen <laughs> how they are going to come out of that. I mean, we know for a fact that at, when Emperor Edition launches, you know, they will have some fortifications in, uh, in the former Hybrid Kingdom uh, because of the Kotai winds. And, uh, you know, that's not something that we originally planned for, but it's something that we've already taken and woven uh, very heavily into the story of the first couple of expansions uh, for the next set. Uh, so, you know, there, there are going to be direct, significant results as, as, a, as, a, you know, as an aftermath of the Kota. Um, you know, I, none of the things that were, the, the clans that were given duties to perform at the end of Goddesses 4, it was out of necessity of what had just happened. And none of them at, the, at that time were particularly suited to the crane's current strength and current uh, disposition. So that's, like, you know. Why would the crane want to go to the Ivory Kingdoms at right. that point? <laughs> yeah. I just like. It'll become economically <clears throat> viable eventually. It's just not right this second. Yeah, after other people do the work, they'll move in. <laughs> and I don't think the Empress's dictates at the end of that fiction should be read as a complete redefinition of clan duties anyway. No, no. Right? So there is no reason to believe existing duties no longer apply. And there is nothing to show that the crane's existing duties in any way are any less necessary. So I, I, I think it is a bit literal minded to say there was no new assignment of duty, therefore the crane are doing nothing. I don't think that follows. And so that particular concern I, I don't think is one that need worry the crane player base over much. Now one of the things that you mentioned in there, Sean, about the the crane is yes, they've been they've been ravaged by uh, the plague and that kind of hampered them from being able to take an active role. Of course, the spider also got ravaged by the plague in the mega game, and that didn't stop them from taking an active role. And well, they're used to being dead already. Well, and and you have specifically noted the overall donation level of the spider in the mega game as a a reason why things played out so well for them in goddesses you know the crane on the other hand donated almost as many points to the empire as the spider did and they didn't donate a giant stack of points to kalima you know should crane players be looking for some recognition in story of you know all the points that they donated yes if i if i recall correctly the the results of the point donations mean that the uh, is it the phoenix, the unicorn, and the crane are the ones who are supposed to play a role in? Uh, really? <laughs> uh, are the ones who are supposed to play a role in over yeah. overseeing the you know taking out the 
the, the, the remnants of the plague or seeing to it that the plague is done. And the plague has not been on the on the main stage for a while, right? Yeah. Um, just because there were more pressing concerns. But uh, just because it's not been on the main stage doesn't mean it isn't an ongoing concern. And absolutely, those clans that donated the most points in that regard, which includes the crane, are going to feature very prominently in the resolution of that. So, yes, they, they should look forward to, to that because that is uh, you know, something that's going to happen before the next edition. Launch. I guess I, I think expectations and perceptions have become tangled on that partially because it was always a little confusing exactly how especially you know the glories here especially how it's it's you sacrificing your own points versus their points when it's all just fighting Kalimaw. Right. but also there was an imperial herald that specifically said the opposite of what you just did which was that you know the clans who had you know achieved better in the spheres who had victory to cause that those were going to be the clans who were instrumental in defeating whatever aspect of the threat was are you talking about the the when you said the threat in this instance you're talking about the plague well, or the, the military well, the, threat well it, it was in the in the herald it was talked about that for both of them it said oh the you know the dragon the unicorn the phoenix and whoever got you know actually got victory against glory so they will be instrumental in defeating Kali Ma. And then these other clans were, you know, they got victory in the honor category, so they were going to be instrumental in curing the plague, kind of making it for the clans who donated so many points that they failed, making it a, well, no, you're just really sacrificing. You don't, that, that they're not going to play a big role. But that, I mean, I guess that seems like the opposite way from what you're saying now. No, there there are still, I mean, Kali Ma is out of the picture. Uh, but like as we just talked about a few minutes ago, several yeah. of her officers are not, uh, and and there certainly are uh, a significant number of troops still remaining physically inside the empire. And so the you know the glory for who is able to assist in in ousting the destroyers is not has not taken place in story yet. It will, but it hasn't. Uh, and so a lot of the clans who are owed military victories. Uh, are going to be feature very prominently and and things like that, and it gives us a chance to explore, uh, you know, some of their lesser known characters, uh, or for people who are, you know, the, the people who think that they haven't got to see enough of their champion. You know, it'll be an opportunity during the falling action for us to to resolve all that. Um, I, I you know, I'll just be perfectly honest with regard to the mega game. You know, there were parts of it that either changed from one, you know, at, at one point during the course of what was going on, or you know, entirely possibly there were parts that just nobody ever told me about. Uh, you know, because I, I do, you know, I am the, the part-time guy on the brand team, right? I have, a, I have the day job and all. And so, you know, if I don't doubt that there are there are things that have been said or even printed in the case of the Herald that uh, that I simply wasn't aware of and, and didn't fulfill, and I, I intend to make good on all that, right? I mean, if they were owed one thing and we didn't give it to them, then we have to give them something equivalent because that's the only way to respect the efforts of the player base uh, and make sure that they, they get uh, you know something for their effort. <coughs> Wait, Put something we, in his mouth. We're right? all yeah. laughing now yeah. because Reese is still in the room and is now snoring. Uh, it, it, <laughs> Poor guy, you tired him out with that I know, interview. We, we, we wore him out. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a bar of soap in his mouth if he keeps it up. <laughs> We're terrible guests. That, that's entertainment for me. I don't know what anybody... Uh, 
I thought he, you know, had, had us stay in here and watch so he could, uh, you know, be amused by the antics. Not to take a nap, but we, we've all done a lot of hours. So, well, <laughs> yeah, I, even people who aren't, you know, at Gen Con to work are usually <laughs> pretty <laughs> tired. Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> He's mobile again. Uh. But uh. well, I guess with the crane, it's not. I think there are a number of these things that that got opened up a little bit with what clan players have been saying because uh, Sean of your invocation of the points with respect to the spider in a way that that didn't seem to relate to what we knew what was coming out of the mega game. So I don't know that the crane have necessarily been promised, you know, haven't gotten anything that they've been promised because I mean based on the strict terms they earned nothing. I mean, they they busted their humps trying to get the air, yeah, but they right, did. They missed it by a very narrow uh, margin. You know, they they donated a bunch of points to the empire, but other than the air and the imperial legions, there wasn't actually any prize for donating points to the empire, other than you know the the satisfaction that your clan was the one who had been been willing to sacrifice. I think it was when you you kind of came in and said, "Oh, well, the spider donated the most points, so they got all this awesomeness," and then. That starts other comparisons to what points differ did, and I think the the crane more so just because they had had donated so many points under what kind kind of seemed to be adverse conditions. Because I think even even the most, except for a handful of the most strident spider players, will admit that the way that the Empire's glory was constructed, they had an awful lot more on the line and an awful lot more motivation and reason to be gung-ho than you know anyone else I would agree. did mm-hmm. so every you know the, the point totals from the mega game the you know the total failures versus uh victory to cost versus you know uh, all those ratings all of that is is very much having a significant bearing on what happens now i mean if if it's just the i mean it, if the mega game only looked at who you know who got the most or who got this or who got that, it would be to me it's disrespectful, right? Because I mean a lot of people put in a lot of work to do a lot of things, and and you know if you just fall short, uh, you know you don't deserve the grand prize, I guess, but you know you deserve to have recognition of your effort. And so you know based on how the player bases did it at the different on the different legs or in the different uh, uh, you know points here, points there, you know did you get a failure? Did you get a victory? Uh, you know. We're, we're not done with that information. You know, that's not being thrown out. That's just not as immediate as some of the things that we've seen. Um, so certainly, you know, it, it, again, I find the whole thing terribly disorienting without my cheat sheet to figure out, you know, who, what points went where and what metric was used here and there. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's a matter of you, the people who are expecting something are going to get something. It's just a matter of, you know, being patient enough to see it over the next month or two bear its fruit. Well, I, I, I actually would. Yeah, I don't think we should give people stuff just because they're expecting something. No, no. There's a well, lot of I, us who are. I uh, think historically, not necessarily that rational. About well, it. I think historically, I, you know, you you couldn't say that we just give stuff out for no reason. I mean, but yeah. it, but in the case, of, I mean, the mega game is such a long term event that requires so much coordination and so many people. Uh, you know, it it's it isn't. You know, it shouldn't just be thrown out. You know, just because, you know, the, the crane worked really hard, you know, as you say, to try and get the air, and then it didn't pan out for them, uh, and so they don't get the air, but, you know, 
shouldn't we reflect what they were trying to do as a fan base in the game itself? You know, I, I feel like we should. I feel like it should have some bearing on on what they see next, or you know, they should see, you know, we did this and this happened, or you know, I think everybody should feel ownership of the game. If you're if you care enough about it to be involved on that level, you should be able to to point to things and say, you know, this this happened because I was involved in this or I was involved in that. You know, if it's it can't just be tournament winners all the time, uh, because you know the strength of L5R is its community, uh, and so the community should have some some significant bearing at least on occasion uh, as to what what they see happen, and and especially in a major transition period like that. Okay, I was gonna since it's not too long till I'm gonna pause. I was gonna skip over to skip over the dragon. Where, you know, because it's me, you'll probably get stuck talking about that for more than three minutes. <laughs> uh, and get onto the lion, except really mostly my main question about the lion was largely tied in with the answer you just gave about the, the crane. crane. But, I mean, we do have a lion player in the room, so Trevor, did you want to get the mic to, <laughs> to ask about that? Tre- Trevor asks, uh, what can I do to destroy the lion clan? Which is the light of my heart and the love of my life. <laughs> uh, we don't currently have a destroy a great clan tournament in the works. I guess we could, I guess we could look at that for next year. I don't, don't really know. <laughs> but, you know, they're they're not too far ahead of the crane in terms of having you know, having their backyard wrecked by zombies. So there, you know, there, there's, there will be ramifications of that. Uh, so, you know, maybe at least that'll make you feel warm and cozy when it comes out, I guess. I don't know. Okay. Zombies are always a fashion faux pas. Yeah, I don't know. Does, uh, is zombie pancake going to get dealt with soon, or is he still going to be uh, running uh, around? He, he has, there are things left for him to do. Um, well, that can't be good for the lion. Well, <laughs> no, probably not. Or I mean, scorpion. there was some there was some total failure action going on at some yes. point, right? So, you know, Paneki seems like a good good fit for that. I think if something that the Rokugani public would eventually be able to find out that happens to him, we'll probably do it in fiction. And if not, then if he was dealt with, it still won't necessarily be revealed right away. It, it's one of those things where we've got two or three or four competing kind of results for Zomneki, <laughs> and depending on which one we go with, the way in which we bring it to the attention of the players will change. Okay, now, we've talked about, I've asked sort of what I had for the specific questions for three clans so far, Crab, Crane, and Lion. Uh, now, like I mentioned earlier, there's you guys have to have so much detail in your heads about what is going to be going on as in the transition from CE to EE. That is not, you know, of some major plot point that's going to come up in the fiction. About those three clans, is there any sort of interesting tidbit that that you have that you know those that clans players might be interested in, but isn't something that's a big plot point that's going to end up. You know, having a fiction written about it in the next three months. Which with with three clans again? Crab, crane, lion. Um, I, mean, I guess you need to spout about random stuff too. People like crab, that. Crab, crane, lion. 
Quesada's little brother, uh, I think, is really... Uh, he's one of my favorite characters, probably, in the crap. Uh, and he uh, he marries into the Cooney. And so we'll be seeing him doing things. Uh, <laughs> Cooney-type Shortly, things. Shortly, you know, the first couple of expansions into the... And the new arc, he'll be up to uh, he'll be up to some delightful shenanigans. Oh, so well, an additional tidbit I think we can say is that um, uh, Satsu will have one child, and that at the start to midpoint of E's are not on good terms with each other. For as yet unknown reason. Uh huh. Well, dun dun dun. Well, unknown to other people. Oh, and you just incidentally made me happy because. That that means that in, as as kind of implied in in Trevor sighing over there, it's kind of implied in Forgotten Legacy. That means that Satsu is actually still around, and presumably that old wizened guy who was acting as the voice. Yes, yes. That's yeah. what I figured since you made like such a point of all the other people of not naming them. His kung his kung fu is too powerful for him to die. <laughs> well, look at this. I asked for uh, tidbits about the crab, crane, and the lion, and I get something about yep. the dragon anyway. I don't know. I don't even have to try to ask. <laughs> The aura of dragonness around you is like overwhelming. <laughs> the lion, the lion are going to struggle a little bit with the the notion of expansion, just because you know they're so traditional and so far outside their their uh, their worldview. But uh, once they get the hang of it, I think in the the second expansion we'll see them doing some, uh, well, doing some things in the in the in the colony. So they'll uh, they'll be their we'll lovable free selves. They're applying the lion technique, the only lion, the only technique they've got. You know, when you're only when the only tool in your toolbox is a sword. <laughs> you know, there's there's only there's a certain Everything amount is of a kitsu. yes, pretty much. Yeah. So um, they, we have a very interesting. I think I don't. I guess we'll see if you guys agree. Uh, <laughs> we have a very interesting uh, issues of succession at the beginning of their uh, the beginning of the arc for the lion. Yeah, and that what was. There was a tidbit thrown out in the Herald, right? Why did Okoto someone... Okoto Kano, I think. Yeah. Why did he decline the, the championship? And we'll get into that a little bit. Yep. Uh, dun, you know, dun, once we dun. get everything set up. Mm. And, and a more interesting question might be, what happened to the previous champ? I just figured he died like they usually eventually do or retire. But apparently something more interesting... And, when you're the and, lion and champion, is still you have around. a long list of vendettas. Yeah. Yeah. It's an oh. occupational hazard. It's a privilege when you're a lion <laughs> champion. So, Nancy, do you have anything for the, the crane fans since the, we've gotten some service for the, the crab and the lion? I've seen art for some really hot guys. <laughs> <laughs> or, or in other words, cranes. <laughs> <laughs> um. I like that new Daidoji piece, though. She's, you know, she's. Oh yeah, the new Daidoji piece majestic. is also. I, I have a yeah. total girl crush on that art. The one you were gonna bribe Adrian with cake for? Yes, yes, that's was. the one. What's that, Mario? No. I don't can't pronounce his last name. What is it? Yeah, Wibis. Yeah, Mario. I just call him Mario, Mario because yeah. that's what Wibisono? Adrian calls him. Wibisono. I imagine that he wears coveralls and has a big mustache. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, sad, sadly, when when Adrian calls him Mario, that's all I can think of too. I <laughs> we might not be able to provide tidbits for every single clan. That's um, But I think Crane's got a few uh, a fic or two coming up in the near future, anyways. So yes. by the time this goes up, there'll be other topical things to discuss. Okay, well, then I'm gonna go ahead and and hit the stop button to stop the file size from getting 
too excessive. Okay, we're back with the second half of the story team interview. Uh, just to make sure that we cover it all, uh, or all the more broadly interesting stuff, I'll get back to the uh, other clans. But let's click ahead to a couple of issues that a number of people have raised. And the the first one being the change in the nature of the Tains. And I guess the broadest question that people have came up to me and said they wanted to ask is, Basically, just why? Why did you want to change the taint? Uh, well, because I thought it. it uh, you know, I, I'm aware that the taint, as a seductive influence, existed already. Right? That was one half of the taints. How the taint worked, and that half has not gone away. I always thought that was the more interesting taint. I mean, there's a finite number of ways you can tell the. You know, I I cut my hand on a piece of obsidian, and now I'm tainted. Tragic story. Uh, before it becomes old hat. You know, I, to me. The way that we were constructing the story with the necessity of the spider becoming a great clan, um, there had to be significant concessions made before the Empress or, or any reasonable authority would even consider, you know, what would the price be? Uh, it had to be a price that she would be willing to pay, but it had to be something that was costly, right? I mean, something that was, that was effective. Um, so in, in terms of protecting her people from the, uh, you know, the jealous nature of Jigoku, uh, you know, she had to make certain concessions and then she can sort of counteract those concessions by promptly ejecting anybody who has already got the taint outside the boundaries of the, uh, outside the boundaries of the empire. So really it's a, it's a net gain. I mean, with a new festering pit right in the middle of the scorpion land. You know the number of people who could stand to be tainted uh, just by its mere existence would be you know thousands or tens of thousands, right? I mean the existence of that new threat. You know, how, look how far the influence of the festering pit in the Shadowlands has expanded, right? You know, hundreds of miles is just completely corrupted, and anybody who goes there is is lost. You know, sooner or later they're they're just lost. Uh, and if that happens in the middle of the Empire, you know that either a places them in a position where there's hundreds of miles that are uninhabitable and there's people cramped and all the rest of the spot, or B, um, you know, you just have a whole bunch of tainted people, which is not, you know, really probably not in the best interest of the Empire long term. Uh, so to me, that was the solution. It was something Daigoksu knew that he could offer her and that she would accept for the benefit of her people so that he could gain advantage for his followers and more specifically his son. Uh, I don't think that it lessens um, the, the, the kind of drama that we can use the taint itself for. I think that it changes the way we have to approach it in terms of telling stories about it, and I, I think that's good. Uh, you know, I mean, the taint has functioned in exactly one way pretty much the, the entirety of the, the game's existence, and now we have, you know, the, the Rokugani philosophy toward it has to change, and we can use that as, uh, as fodder to create new stories about different characters. Um, so, you know, I I was a little... I knew that there would be some people who were surprised by it. I guess I was a little... I was a little surprised by how some people were vehemently opposed to it just on general principle. Uh, you know, I, I certainly understand. You know, I was also 
surprised and entertained by the people demanding uh, RPG rules for the new the, how the tank will work now, which I we will totally do because I'm, anything that gets me more RPG work is is okay with me. <laughs> so we'll get that up on the website as soon as we can. Well, I guess in there you touched on a more narrow question I had about it, which was that yeah, the original festering pit tainted hundreds and hundreds of miles of land around it, uh, which would, if it did that in the existing scorpion lands, would largely consume them, I believe. Correct. But now you talked about how that isn't going to happen, so does the the deal that the Empress made also preclude the taint from infecting, you know, ground and plants like that? Not necessarily, or? no. Now, the, we know a lot more about, you know, the, the crab, as the experts, know a tremendous amount more about that. You know, they've reclaimed the Cooney land. Uh, and it didn't do a lot of wonders for the landscape, but the, it's, it's you know, kind of a hellhole, but it's a pure hellhole, right? And then they've reclaimed a fair, you know, some of the Haruma lands as well, and it's not, you know, it's not beachfront property, but it's functional. Um, and then, of course, the fact that, you know, I use that for comparison, but the truth of the matter is that the festering pit is significantly larger than, you know, this is more like, more like the festering man. Right, I guess, right? That would be more than so. So the area of effect would be significantly smaller anyway. And with the Cooney um, and the Yogo on hand to, you know, use a combination of wards and binary or whatnot, they should be able to keep the environmental impact fairly controlled. Now, nobody is going to want to live immediately near it. That's just, I mean, there's, there's no way, right? There's going to be, there's going to be a significant dead zone around it. Um, but no, they're not looking at the the same level of geographical contamination uh, as the Shadowlands, just by dint of you know a thousand years of experience on the part of the Cooney with how to how to try and combat that. Um, can flora and fauna still suffer the effects of the taint? Absolutely. Daigotsu very specifically mentioned humans, right? Yes. Yeah. In his bargain, and that humans are the only ones that are affected, right? So everything else. That lives in the Shadowlands, ogres, trolls, oni, goblins, the muck monsters, the blood vines, all that stuff that nothing has changed there. It's all incredibly dangerous. Uh, you know, uh, a crab who wanders down there without the appropriate precautions is very easily going to be killed. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, basically now, as I said in a meeting earlier, you know, essentially you can, you can just kind of pretend that the crab have hazmat suits, right? So that makes the Shadowlands is still excruciatingly deadly. And they, you know, you do not venture in there unless you're, you're, you've, you've taken the appropriate steps, you know, and you have good reason to go in there. However, just walking three feet inside and standing there is not automatically a death sentence anymore. You, you, you might still need jade for offensive purposes, yes, but exactly, not defense. Exactly. <laughs> you know, your, you know, jade dust on your sword is still uh, super handy if you run into a pack of ogres, uh, you know, or something like that. But, but. Uh, to me, it, it opens the possibility for the crab to push farther into the Shadowlands, something they've never been able to do because they don't have the jade to protect themselves. Now they have the option to try it. Uh, it's just it's going to be extremely dangerous. Uh, it's going to be, you know, it's going to cost them manpower because, you know, if you push into the Shadowlands, you're going to lose people. Um, but it's, not, it's now something that's on the table that they can consider, um, which I think takes the, the crab stories that we're able to tell in a, in a little bit different direction. Because um, it's just not something that we've been able to to tamper with too much before. Okay. Uh, another wrinkle in that that people had asked about was what effect does the change in how the taint works have on Maho users? Well, I think we 
We were talking about that at lunch, I think. I mean, you, yeah. you, you can't be tainted unless you willingly permit it to happen, right? And if you are using blood sorcery, you are absolutely willingly allowing that to happen, right? I mean, you, you have to ask a Kansan how to do it in the first place. Unless you find a scroll, you have to either cut yourself or somebody else. I mean, there are several steps during the Maho process at which you could stop and say, this might not be the best idea, right? <laughs> and if you disregard all of those and push ahead, then you deserve whatever you get. Uh, and, and what you get, incidentally, is, you know, like a, a spiritual Ebola. I mean, you know, it's just a, there, there's no coming back from that. Yeah, sort of the thing. intent requirement seems to be met. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and on a related note, there were people who asked about what happens to all the people who are tainted they're still tainted. I mean, there's no, there's no, you know, there's not a get out of jail free card. The only thing that was mentioned in that regard was the the blessing of Can Pecky, which essentially severs him from his father's influence, which is something Daigosu was willing to let happen in order to secure better social position for his son. Right? Uh, nobody else is, is looking to uh, is is looking is, is going to be offered the opportunity to get out of jail free. I mean, it's still it's still a horrible thing that happens, and and you're stuck with it for a very long time. Um, no, I know Trevor wanted to ask about that. So, Trevor, did that cover your? Mm. How can? Oh. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. All right, you ask it on the record. Trevor asked for the record. Uh, how can players represent uh the taint if they want to be tainted? Um, and and you know that's that's been a kind of a back-and-forth subject over the course of the game. I mean, at one point, you know, if you had, what, more than three cards in your deck? If you had I mean, at least one card, your you were deck was tainted, and, and if you had four, your deck was corrupted. And then at one point, we, you know, we were like, well, it's, it's you know, we're you're penalizing some people mechanically for something they don't want to do, and then other people who don't care about it are just throwing it in there, and they're winning, so we kind of disregarded that. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not prepared to say that that sort of thing is coming back. Um, however, um, there are going to be instances uh, you know, in the future when the kind of thing that you want, you know, what the kind of things that are in your deck are going to have an impact. Um, there was a person who won an event earlier this convention who asked for a certain, like, can my, can the character I pick for this be affiliated with this group? And, uh, Fred was there, thank goodness, because I don't know what I would have done. And he was just like, well, do you have any, do you have any of those cards in your deck? And he was like, well, no. And he's like, well, no, then no, probably not. Uh, you know, and, and so can I ooh. take that to mean that Case asked if his guy could be a colon? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, you want, if you want to use a yeah. specific fact, <laughs> um, <laughs> ruined all my delightful vagarities. But sure. Um, <laughs> what? He had no colon. He had there was nothing colon in his deck. So I mean, really, it didn't. And plus, he picked the Paragon. So I mean, what I can say is that generally, what I look at, and usually this kind of question lands on my desk. Um, what what would I look at? One, evidence that you'd actually thought about this and that you're not just doing this casually on a whim. Um, two, some kind of story explanation for why it makes sense given the deck and the event and the character and so on in question. Uh, three, I do look at deck construction. Uh, four, can we make it work given like what else is going on within the context at the time and the prize, right? Like some, if you want, like, I want to take the Jade Champion. You're just a griefer. Yeah. 
nuts. Is, that guy is just you know, wait, wait, for, didn't you, you know, guys do that? Not you guys personally, but I mean, that has happened, right? Yes. And it's not like it was an overwhelmingly good idea. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> not on our watch, no. And, and I, you know, there have been things that ha- have happened in the past that I would not necessarily green light now. Uh, many of those were from way before our time, too, so that makes it kind of easy to say. Um, but, but I can tell you that in general, those are the criteria I look at. And there are others that are escaping my mind at the moment. And I try to come up with whether I can reasonably do it in a way that furthers the storyline as a whole and is not simply someone trying to grief the clan they're playing or simply randomly just decide to do it on a lark. Um, but a, an honor, you know, a genuinely held storyline desire to influence a story in a meaningful way if it works, if it's been thought through, if. It's not, you know, trying to shoehorn just, I want this, and that's all. Um, I'll, I'll see what can be done. I can't always do it. I'm not always inclined to do it. But, you know, for things like tainting or co-lot affiliation or whatnot, those are the steps I go through. And generally, yeah, the threshold's pretty high before I'm wanting to say, yeah, on this one, I'll let it go. Why? Because it shouldn't be a common story, right? Tainting should not be something that just randomly happens. And it shouldn't feel like it. It's a big thing because it taint, especially because it really limits what you can do with that character afterwards. Um, Because of the nature of the taint and the way Rokugani society looks upon taint, you really constrict what can happen with that character afterwards. So, you know, there's... Uh, you know, it's like, well, they can go to a monastery, or they can become one of the damned, or they can try and hide it until something horrible happens and it's revealed, and, you know, then your life is over. And, you know, beyond that, well, okay, so they can, you know, run off and become, you know, hoardy or spidery or whatever. But it can really deflect what was originally planned for that character if we had an original plan for that character. And if we didn't have a plan for the character at all, then it just creates a question mark that it's like, okay, so what do we do with this? So it's kind of a hard thing. Yep. And if the That's char- why I make Fred make the decisions. And if the character was slated for another card as part of the prize, then it becomes like an issue for Brian as well, because then we have to deal with Lion Jimbo is now also Shadowlands. Does that mean we need to look at changing the honor requirement? Does that look does that mean we have to look at the interaction with the spider box? Does that, you know, all of those questions come up? It becomes it's not that we're unwilling to do it. It's that for stuff like that to be meaningful, it can't be common. So we have to be careful of when we let it through. Okay. Uh let's see one of the other sort of broad issues that uh, I think is around now is some players' opinions about Iweko before Goddesses Part 4 and uh, even more so after Goddesses Part 4 there is a certain contingent of players who thinks that she's you know useless or isn't doing anything or is holding the idiot ball or whatever and the impression I get is that that's see how many times I can repeat the same word. The impression I get is that that's not the impression that you are intending, that you, the story team, are intending to convey through the story, and so it feels like there is a growing 
disjoint, at least for some players, between how they're how they perceive Iweko and how they're I don't know if supposed to perceive her or intended to perceive her or but I mean it, it seems like that could cause a storytelling problem when the other characters in the fiction react to Iweko in a certain way, but then this segment of the player base is going to find those reactions incomprehensible because they think Iweko is a deranged moron. Uh, I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, do you think that's a problem? And if it is, how do you think it could be resolved? Iweko, by, by, because of the needs of the game, Iweko, Iweko has to be a distant ruler, right? I mean, if she was a strong ruler, the story is no longer about the clans because... You know the clans would never get into shenanigans because she would just stop it, right? There would never be there would never be skirmishes or there would never be difficulties because a strong ruler would step in and eliminate it in order to keep the peace and in order to maintain law and order. Um, so by necessity, for us to tell stories that are about the clans, Iwako has to be removed, right? We have to, you know, her her motivations, her uh, her mannerisms, everything kind of have to be muted. Uh, from us, and and that makes it difficult because, um, you know, it's difficult to tell a story about a person of that sort, and it not seem weird. You know, I mean, Nasseru, uh We got into trouble with Nasseru because Nasseru prior to his ascension, was a very manipulative, very uh, successful, very political character. And then, you know, if the the way he existed before he had the emperor's level of influence. If he had done that after he got on the throne, what would we have talked about? I mean, there wouldn't have been, you know, he would have, you know, had everybody eaten out of the palm of his hand, and it would have been very dull. You know, it would have been, we'd have been playing, this, this expansion would have been what kimonos are in fashion this year. You know, I mean, it would have been, <laughs> Which it, it would I not think have would worked, have been right? awesome, Nancy, but hey. <laughs> Nancy lobbied for that ruthlessly. Um, so, to some extent, that's why Waco doesn't appear on screen all that much, right? I mean, she doesn't, she shows up some. Uh, she show has showed up, you know, semi regularly throughout this arc. She won't show up as much next arc. You know, she'll be a little bit more distant. Um, and and part of the reason is to eliminate the kind of problem that you're talking about. But part of the reason is because we want to tell stories about the clans. I mean, that's what the people care about. That's what they're invested in. And uh, you know, she is a way for us to do that um, without telling the same story over and over again. I mean, there has not been a tremendous number of Emperor on the throne stories in the game's history, uh, but we have no current plans for her to go anywhere. Uh, you know, uh, if she does, you know, theoretically it'll be because she's being succeeded uh, by you know her, one of her heirs or something like that. So you know, we'll see where that goes. But you know, I, I totally see what they're saying, and I think it will be less of a problem as I Waco tends to to withdraw more from the picture. You'll you'll hear about her in the story. And you'll see her, but generally you'll only see her if we need to see the people around her, or if we need to see the court. Uh, and so that'll that'll hopefully keep people from being too put out with her, I suppose. But you know, some people would have been regardless. I think you know, there's there's no pleasing everybody all the time. Uh, Specifically about the more recent. Uproar, you know, you've got the Colot recruitment thread and the new Gazoku recruitment thread that are more specifically aimed at the events of Goddesses 4 and the perception that, you know, this makes her an, you know, an honorless dog or something or got suckered by Daigatsu or, I mean, I mean, do you have any 
plans or do you think there's any value to address that point specifically by making I don't know, by doing something where the benefits of a Wecos deal are I, I think that or... we do need, you know, Fred made a point earlier today when we were talking that, that we need to address the cosmology because even before all this, I think there were aspects of Rokugan's cosmology that were not necessarily well understood. Um, you know, people who've read Fortunes and Winds know about how the realms interact and everything. <laughs> but, you know, that's not a tremendous number of people, right? Um, and the truth of the matter is that from my perspective, uh, the thing that we've never looked at much, I talked about this at our, at our meeting with Nico earlier, is that, you know, the, the concept of the universe as it exists in Rokugan is that it has to exist in balance, right? You've got Tengoku on one side, you've got Jigoku on the other, and the mortal realm is right in the middle. But mankind, who dominates Rokugan, obviously, all almost exclusively, uh, you know, pay homage to, Ten to Tengoku. They worship the fortunes. You know, they want their ancestors to go to Yomi, all that sort of stuff. So that, that in and of itself is, is somewhat unbalancing. So might that not be part of the reason that the forces of darkness are constantly trying to kill everybody, right? Because in doing so, then the balance is restored, and the mortal realm in Gendo is right in the middle between good and evil, uh, as it should be. It's the neutral realm, right? Um, so the question there is, you know, if, if by permitting this... Um, I don't know what to call this, upheaval in how Jigoku functions, if by permitting it, and if not endorsing it, then at least tacitly uh, ignoring it. You know, it's like, okay, well, you, you do your thing over there, and we won't pay that much attention. Um, you know, it, it creates a situation where things are more balanced, and now, as a result of that, the, uh, the mortal realm is not in current constant jeopardy from the forces of the realm of evil, as it has been since the game started. You know, the Shadowlands have always been there. They have always uh, tried to destroy Rokugan and kill everyone in it or convert them. Uh, and, and, you know, that's no longer an issue because, the, the you know, in, in a sense, you could say the balance has been restored, which has been something we've explored uh, several times over the past few years in the story. Um, and, and so from my perspective, which, you know, I, I suffer, and I've said I've admitted this numerous times, and we'll have to continue doing it for the future. Uh, you know, things that make sense in my head, I don't always express well to other people. And so they end up, you know, just looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? You know, because I, I, don't, I don't necessarily come across uh, with ideas. But I, I think that, that Fred is right that we do need to explore exactly how the cosmology works. I, I think that is probably best saved for, you know, when, when we look at the Phoenix and how they're examining the aftermath of what's happened. Uh, and, and you'll get more of an in-character response sort of thing. But, I mean, to me, that is the, the necessity behind Iweko's actions is because she was trying to restore a balance and create a situation where her people could prosper. Because, let's face it, Rokugan's, you know, been kicked in the junk a lot over the past 50 years or so, right? And, uh, you know, they're in desperate need of, of some respite or else the Empire can't endure, you know, the population is dwindling as we've had, you know, Mia Shoen reported that in during the War of Dark Fire about, you know, within, you know, if the conflict doesn't resolve within X amount of time, you know, it could take this long for us to rebuild our numbers or we may suffer permanent, you know, there, there could be, we may never be able to recover and hold all of our territory. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of, I feel like as the figurehead of the heavens that Iweko is doing what has to be done in order to preserve the mortal realm as it exists without it being in a, in a state of constant peril. And that's her, her mandate is to uh, oversee the faithful people of Rokugan, and that, that's what she's been doing. Uh, 
which admittedly, you know, the fans are not the only ones. If you're not there, you know, we've established that Waco has a, has a certain presence as a result of her uh, divine endorsement. But the people who aren't there to hear this are going to hear about it secondhand. And again, the response is, is and from some of them we're going to see, it's just like, what the hell? That makes, you know, what are you doing? And then we have to, we have to see how it goes from there. You know, what are the, what are the sociological ramifications of these edicts as pertains to the, the people who are trying to understand what they mean long term? So you're telling me no chance that Aweko like charges up and glows and flies into Jigoku and like just punches Daigatsu a lot? No. Uh, April. Yeah. No. April. <laughs> yeah, well we can look at that for April or you know, if I decide I'm on my way out we can you know we can do all kinds of things. <laughs> um so was the other goddess in the title goddesses intended to be Ueko? Uh I that's how I envisioned it originally. Uh you know, again the story grew to such length that I was looking at either going to a part five, which I thought would result in a riot, although, you know, I kinda had a riot anyway, so maybe that would have been a good call. Yeah. Um but uh, you know, I, I think her prevention of the the goal was always for her prevention of the, the taint spreading to all of the shogunate. Uh, and the surrounding area, uh, when the when the secondary pit was just opened up, was an act of of divinity. That uh, you know, you you are aware that a Waco is periodically capable of things like that, but that that rarely take place, you know, on screen. So. I thought it was a pretty neat trick. Well, I know I couldn't do it, so. Yes, I think to to steal the CCG terms, it would fall into the category of like. That's not a proactive ability. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's very reactive. Well, the window triggered. She took her react. <laughs> Call it an open or a limited? I don't know. I think that was an open. No, I think Fred had it right. It, it would was be a reaction. reaction. <laughs> uh, reaction when your subjects are about to gain the Shadowlands, Tate. Yeah. They don't. Bow you echo. Negate. Negate. do not occur. <laughs> oh, no, you can't bow her. Nobody likes Bellas that bow characters. She can auto-straighten. <laughs> it's an empress trait. Yes, uh, yes. Open, even if this card is bowed any number of times per turn, straighten it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was good. See, we just missed a totally good comment by Trevor. <laughs> you guys, you guys should have donated enough money that I was overflowing with cash and uh, could afford to buy a fifth mic. Um. So, uh, before we get back into the the clans. I've got a couple more questions that I find it hard to phrase in ways that don't involve being snarky. Well, feel free. You're snarky on the forums. Just I, let go. I, I, <laughs> okay, well, uh, let me ask the exact same questions I, I asked on the forum. Really, a, a, a literal deus ex machina to end the arc? I mean, literally, you created a god, <laughs> have him come up out of the earth, and then kill the bad guy? He's kind of already always ball, been though. there. <laughs> Use the answer from the forum, Sean. <laughs> I don't remember it. What, what? I the laser answer. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. 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 It could have been the, the sun. Could have it could have been worse. Yeah. Yes. You know, after it all the times be we've been incorrectly been accused of having a deus <laughs> yeah. ex machina, I think we deserve <laughs> the <laughs> opportunity to actually have one for real. <laughs> we've been saving up for this. <laughs> the karma was due. We bought it on credit. I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, you know. It's like, when people accuse... Everybody gets one. Right? You know. <laughs> <laughs> that 
<laughs> the, the story where you know Hideshi used his belt to you know drag that unfortunate scorpion off to the to the realm of, of hungry ghosts, and people accused it of you know of, of you know being a Deus Ex Machina. And it's like he got the belt two years ago, and he's <laughs> already used it once in the fiction. <laughs> what are you talking about? And his problems aren't over yet. I, <laughs> no. So someday I'm going to find what it takes to bribe Ling to filter away the ability to link to TV tropes. Oh. <laughs> you probably don't have to bribe him. You could probably <laughs> just ask him. It hasn't happened yet, so I, I think a bribe is in order. Oh, uh, but so you apparently you have asked him. <laughs> yes, yes, I have. Because um, uh, c- he, he does, in fact, have the ability to do that, yes. And it was known beforehand, and, it, and as Fred said, it didn't solve any of his problems. So, you know, it's... It is a commonly misused term. Yeah. So, like I I said, the fact that we, you know, I think it's arguable whether or not the Daigatsu thing was a real Deus Ex Maxima. I felt like we needed a compare and contrast instance in the story, right? So now when people ask if we were using it later, we can say, no, that was like that. That was it. (laughs) That was what you're thinking of. And again, I, I'm going to ask this. I understand it's largely a rhetorical question because the answer has got to be no, but didn't Daigatsu just get over the top there at some point? I mean, I have said that he is, if not a Mary Sue character, very bordering on it. And, and There's another and, phrase that I really hate when people use know, because he's not a Mary Sue. You can argue that he's overpowered, but he literally lacks the, the Sue characteristic of Everyone in the setting loving and adoring him. I, because I really don't there's envision. lots of people in the setting who absolutely loathe Daigatsu for really excellent reasons. But he's like the mm. best. I mean, what what is he not the best at? He's he's the head of a he's founded a courtier school and he's an excellent political mastermind. He's a super powerful shugenja. He's an uber duelist. Right, he's, that makes I, him a powerful character. He's a bedwetter. But <laughs> all Sues are powerful characters, but not all powerful characters are Sues. <laughs> I he don't envision myself as a six-foot tall I, But I guess whether or not the term is applicable, he was an exceptionally powerful character who had stayed on even after most of those had been killed off by if not in Truist Test, then shortly before. Right. Uh, and and certainly there were a lot of people who had expressed that opinion beforehand, and yet you thought it would be a good idea to just... W- 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 what's the, the stupid internet thing I don't pay up to? Take it above 9,000 and be like, now you can, yeah. can just walk into Jagoku and take it over, because he's, he's even more BA than you thought before. Well, no, he, they needed a situation where he and Fooling had Kalima on a pincher. <laughs> is what it was, right? I mean, he didn't just, yeah, uh, you know, I I don't know what to say about that. He he is, uh, you know, he's been a linchpin of the story for a very long time. I didn't create him. I've actually, I've, I don't think, I don't feel like I've written that many stories with him in it. Um, I mean, he shows up now and again, and I, I there are a few like I wrote him with him and the Evan daughter. Um, but I I don't feel like I've written a lot with him over the years. I'm, I'm sure I have if you added it all up, but I can't remember a lot of them. And uh, you know, he. It was just it was time for him to go, and the the identity of the Spider Clan, not only in the game but with a lot of the players, was so heavily tied into him. You know, like a lot of them are you know we're huge Big D fans, 
you know, stuff like that, that it needed, you know, I, I, the setting, we had to make some changes to the setting, and I felt like he was the most appropriate tool to use. And you can you can make the comparison uh, of him to a tool. You can take that <laughs> any way you want. Uh, and and you know and that was it. And now he's now he's he's gone. You'll hear about him. You know people in you know the the spider will invoke his name or whatever like they would do fooling. But I mean he's done now. You're not going to see him anymore. He's off the he's off the screen. I, I guess the the notion that he still exists in some form will offend some people. But they, you know I I don't know what to tell you. You're just going to have to pretend. Pretend, pretend that, that, when he, that he yeah. stayed dead when he killed himself. Sure. Like, like, well, he's been he's been dead. Well, a essentially, times. I mean, he's just as dead as as the you know, uh, Kami Akoto is. You know, we still reference have references to Akoto Kami, but it's not like he's a character. And you won't see Daigotsu in the same narrative role anymore. So, huh. so the Mary Sue concern, if it is valid, is no longer valid. Because yes, it you, would no longer be an issue, really. Yeah. So if if someone really thinks that Daigotsu is that kind of character, without agreeing or disagreeing, I could say I think you can agree that at this point he's not, because he can't be, because his nature is changed. One would hope he would not be, <laughs> unless you start writing fictions about how Daigotsu is better than all the kami. Now. I don't like and to I write stories. Spider, about you know, spider player, <laughs> he already is. I don't so. like to write stories about the gods because they tend to be kind of boring. And controversial. <laughs> I'm okay with controversial. It's the whole boring thing. Speaking of uh, controversial stories involving gods that Nancy has written. Uh, <laughs> wow, that was subtle. Let's. Uh, well, I would, I'm not yeah. actually going to ask about that, yeah. but since before uh, <laughs> Sean has to depart, I'm going to. Talk of you know, ask about stuff with uh, the dragon before I go back sure. to the other clans. And well, that's actually the broad, lame question, but I guess I'll ask it first since it starts uh, out with that. I I think that I mean, I guess since Heaven's Net, there has been a a downward de- a downward decline. There has been a decline in. I don't know, enthusiasm on the part of the Dragon player base. It got, you know, picked back up after Dragon won the race, and then that was, you know, it was perceived by some, and you you still, I mean, there's there's answers to it to show why the question is kind of misguided, but there are still people ask like, oh, what did we really get out of winning the race? And I think that that sort of enthusiasm has continued to decline and you I think really saw that in Kote season attendance this year where Dragon which is historically one of the higher attendance clans had atrocious attendance and not because the the clan was particularly bad in the CCG I mean it wasn't one of the great clans mm-hmm. but it wasn't uh, bad or anything so uh I guess I would wonder what your thoughts on that general Subject or I I don't know I mean is it is it are we are we to infer from that that you know all of the dragon fans who were huge dragon fans were only dragon fans because Tagashi was hanging around in spirit form I mean I would hope not I would hope that that is not the nature of their of their attraction to the clan as a whole I mean if that's the case then anytime we change one thing significant or insignificant about a clan we risk losing a dedicated portion of the fan base, and that's, you know, that's unfortunate. Uh, you know, Nancy took a lot of heat for Heaven's Gate, but, I mean, Fred and I 
Fred and I pointed yeah. the gun. She yeah. just pulled the trigger, right? She was, you know, that was, it was her turn in the rotation that week. I mean, it was literally, you know, well, I, she I, she didn't come to me and beg and tear at my shirt and you know ask me to slaughter a you know. I I didn't mean to. to was, I mean, I, I didn't intend to ask a question about like heaven's mm-hmm. net or why we didn't have it. I mean, I you know, I mean, I've talked about that with with Fred and Nancy before. That's I think is just sort of the flashpoint. A, a flashpoint for and and a you know in a time to to pick that. I think sort of defines what I've seen is this all. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I guess the first sort of question would be: Do you agree with me that there has been that decline in, I don't know, enthusiasm or participation or? I don't actually know. I have not. I mean, I, I did not look at the. I looked at overall Kotai attendance to see how many, you know, what our average number of players were at each event and things like that. I didn't look at a clan breakdown, so I guess I wasn't aware. Um, the dragon were dwindling this season, but I, I don't know. I mean. The Dragon are a clan that have have struggled with their identity, I think, since the, the earliest part of the game. You know, they were they had an identity up until the clan you know, the Day of Thunder, right? They were watching and observing. And then once the Day of Thunder was concluded, they kind of that was kind of their thing, right? And so after that they've they've kind of bounced around. Uh, you know, they, they were Hitomi's uh people for a while and then she went kinda of crazy and then uh <laughs> You know, and then they they were throwing magic items in a volcano for a little while, and that didn't pan out. Let's, let's, the way let's they, not go back to that. By the way, they thought it was gonna, and then you know, they have the the. I, I saw people on the Dragon Forum uh, complaining that they had been asking for a, a direction or a, a, a duty, uh, well, and that they didn't like what they had been given. I actually did not intend that. That that was not my thought at the time that 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 fiction was being written. To be honest, like up until about a week before. Goddesses Four uh, was written. I, I was my intention was to have the lion supervise the spider, right? Uh, and I, I briefly considered the crab, and I was like, well, I know they'll just kill them all. Uh, and then the lion, it was just like, well, they've so they, you know, their, you know, their their lands are a hotbed of zombie activity, you know. And I thought, well, okay, you've got a situation where you have a group that no one trusts, but that has a duty to perform, and you need someone to not only supervise but very carefully scrutinize them. Uh, in order to, but to, you know, still maintain an open enough mind not to, you know, start executing them left, right, and center. And, you know, when you get to something like that, it's obviously, it's a very sensitive task. It has very specialized requirements. Who is the empress going to trust the most to deal with something of that significant? Of course she's going to trust her own clan, her parent clan, right? I mean, she's going to go back to the people that she knows. She's going to go to the people she trusts. And so that's the reason that they were selected to guard the spider because it made the most sense for Iweko to pick them, because they are best suited to the task. Um, I, it wasn't an attempt to give the dragon a specific direction. You know, I'm not saying this is what you've got to do. You're babysitters, right? That was what they kept that, saying. You're that, babysitters. That used a lot. They'll suck it up. You know, that's not what we're, we're going for here. It's, it's something for the dragon. You know, it's, a, it's a new thing for the dragon to experience. It's a way for them to play a, a, a prominent role. Um, you know, I personally think the whole mechanic where they got to start with a favor if they wanted it or, or whatnot as a result of getting the Empress was nice. But, you know, this is something, this is a different interpretation, something else that they've gotten as a result of winning the race for the throne uh, is a way to look at it, I guess. Um, you know, and I, I don't, you know, they, they, a lot of people are very negative about it already because of how they think it's going to work in the next arc, right? They haven't yeah. actually seen how it's going to work. We haven't actually said anything about how it's going to work. They just assume uh, you know, some sort of apocalypse scenario about how horrendous it's going to be, 
and then and then they you know they've got their minds made up. So that's you know that's something like a self fulfilling prophecy right there. If they're absolutely certain it's going to suck, then it they're probably going to think it sucks, right? Um, so it's just a matter of you know we need to you know we're going to do what we have planned and let them see how it works and and we're going to go from there. And and I think the people who are looking for uh, a new a new 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 perspective on the dragon uh, a new way for the dragon to impact the story i think they're going to like it i mean you know even just today it's constantly evolving you know uh, fred was telling me some really the, the satsu and his son thing uh, the idea that we were talking about earlier today that fred mentioned you know i think that's going to be uh, i think it's going to be very popular with the dragon fans you know what, what we're going to do there um so it's just a matter of seeing what we're actually going to do rather than making assumptions about it you know will that invigorate the dragons i don't know will the existing players really latch onto it and go with it will new people come in because they like what's happening uh you know there's absolutely no way for us to predict how that's going to plan out but i i think that i think that it will be a, a positive thing for the clan okay i really i need to take off fred and nancy are, are gonna take over for me hey trevor can have my mic yes yeah there there are s we had a few chats with some of the dragon players who were here today. At least I did. Um, and... <laughs> and some of the tentative, like, very vague ideas I had seem to have good response. Um, I'm ironing them out, so I don't really want to, like, hash out specifically what those vague ideas were. And... One of the challenges with dragon in particular is that one of the clan's core theme is that the clan doesn't really have a clan-wide core theme because the individual, the individual is given a little bit more autonomy to find their own way than in most clans. Most clans are much more hierarchical in terms of day-to-day -day supervision and, and what you can do. I think we have a good way of exploring that for next arc. I can't really say whether it will go over well or not until we have some work product out that players can respond to. Okay. I don't know how much this will come through with the mic changes and the editing, but Sean has now vanished, so Trevor will now be playing the part of Sean. So I'm going to ask... Oh, the Lion Clan are dead now, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Eaten by zombies, I'm afraid. Oh. <laughs> that was fast. 25 years of the munchies. <laughs> Like the Walking Dead in Lionland. <laughs> it's an entirely new interpretation of Screaming Yellow Zonkers. <laughs> and this is why I'm not on the story team. <laughs> okay, uh, Trevor slash Sean. Mantis players are interested in what Nizen is up to. I was specifically told to ask, is he a, cha a or the Champion of Thunder? And I wasn't really sure what that meant. Uh, what is it? A lot of players saw the, the follower card from Forgotten yeah. Legacy with the same stats as Nizen and somehow assumed it was Nizen on top of the Rochi little angry man. Ah. Uh, okay. It's going to be awfully demeaning for a clan champion yeah, to be yeah. a follower. Yeah. yeah. I, I just don't see that's a good leap. So yeah, usually they become holdings. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Really good holdings. Rokugani <laughs> is a very traditional place. You turn so. them into a building and show them the proper respect. So, answer is he is he the follower champion of Thunder? No, because then he would count as Nizen for uniqueness anyways, just yeah. as a shout out. Oh. Uh, See, I, I thought that they. I would, you know, no, honestly, no, when I it. got that question, I thought it was something like whether or not there was some new position, the champion of yeah. Thunder. That oh, 
Now, will oh, he I append another silly. title to himself as a self-honorific? <laughs> Why not, right? <laughs> um, but no. He's, he's nice, and you'll never know what honorific he's going to append to himself. But right. I mean, Yoritomo was commonly referred to by the players as the man for how many years? <laughs> so. uh, before we let the actual Mantis player ask any questions, a lot of Mantis players have opined that they feel that their clan gets short shrift in quantity of story time. Amazingly enough, every single clan has people who feel that their clan gets short shrift on story time. We were time. talking with Jay the other day about that, pretty much, during the Forgotten Legacy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. The, the fact that, I mean, we we in the same conversation, we talked about the Dak probably suffered a little bit narratively because Sean had to go and include every single clan even if they didn't have as much of a role to play in the story and then Jay was like but the, the Phoenix section of the Forgotten Legacy wasn't that I'm like oh see this is why we can't have nice things <laughs> um, yeah to, to a certain extent I am, I'm aware that the Mantis have particularly commented that they feel like they haven't had enough uh, fiction time I don't keep detailed tracks of fiction time because I'm not sure what my metric would be. Like, because it, it's hard to say whether something is a mantis fic yeah, or a yeah. brain fic or a self-aggrandizement fic or, or whatnot. Um, but I do, I'm aware that that's the feeling. One way to deal with it on a more macro level is to try to have more fics that are cross-clan. Like, where, where two or more clans are actively involved. But then people will say, well, we're always the antagonists in fix, or we're never the pr prospective clan. So I think the better solution is to really continue to try and make sure that when a clan shows up, the clan player base feels satisfied with, with the result, right? Um, challenge with that is it makes it harder to do multi-part fix, because generally the first few fix in a multi-part series don't feel as satisfying because what they really are in some sense is teasers for the later. Yeah, just the build up. Um, I know that Sean and I today looked over some of our plans for the first part of EE. I don't think Mantis players will feel like... I think the Mantis players will be really happy with some of their <laughs> early... Uh, because of the nature of some of their early challenges, I think they'll be really happy. Because it's a particular kind of engagement or task that they have been wanting to come to grips with for a long time. Okay. There's another question. Uh, are the mantis conquering alongside the spider, or they do they have a distinctive role in the Ivory Kingdom? Um, first off, even if it was side by side, the mantis would never say they're conquering beside the spider. They would say they're in front of, or leading, or taking. You know, the hard work. Uh, secondly, I I think. The focus of the Mantis is not quite the same as the focus of the Spider because the two clans are good at different things, right? I don't think anybody in the Empire really trusts the Spider to build stuff. And, and by build stuff, I don't necessarily mean construction. You don't turn to the Spider for things you want to have really represent the Empire in terms of lasting historical significance or memory <laughs> or infrastructure, or like, what does a spider really know about trade hubs? Like, and, and I'm I don't know, know have any Yasuki right joined recently? Right. And, and so, I don't think it would be fair to characterize the, them as doing the same duty. Um, I also think it would be problematic to say that the mantis aren't fighting and the spider are doing all the conquering. That's not correct either. 
but the emphasis is tailored to the client. Can the Mantis look forward to seeing the fourth storm in action, and how will the Mantis's role in the Ivory Kingdom relate to Aramasu's legacy? That one I would take a wait and see on, uh, just because I, I, that one becomes more directly spoilery, and there's no good way to finesse that. Okay, Trevor, your turn. Yeah, uh, this isn't necessarily how I see it at all, but a lot of Mantis players complain about the nature of that temptation, how it's still ongoing, mm-hmm. the Ivory Kingdom, and it doesn't ever seem to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. There's just like a little thing every couple months, and mm-hmm. it's still wait and see at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does the story team feel about that? And specifically, uh, which aspect of the temptation? How, how it we never actually get to see what it truly represents. We get you know, little glimpses at a time, but the big picture is always fuzzy. Um, I, I can take that into uh, I'll take that into account and talk with Sean about it and see if we can come up with a way to address yeah that, I, whether we think that's it's reasonable. Not, like I said, um, I I'm I'm not really like I'm a little flat-footed on that because I didn't really see it that way myself. Um, I, I think Mantis has gotten good mileage out of like certainly the Yoritomo temptation. And I didn't personally feel that the Mantis were really short-trifted on their Temptations as a whole. Yeah, yeah. So it's useful to bring that to my attention. I'll, I'll talk to Sean about it. We might or might not actually substantively change what we're doing, but it, it's always good to know that the Mantis players feel a certain way. Yeah, and then we can evaluate whether we agree or disagree with that feeling. Well, that's odd. I yeah, I almost would have thought it would be a positive that you got to have an ongoing I know, story about your temptation. If we had one temptation. story and finished it, they yeah, complained yeah, that it, they, it was one story and never mentioned again. Right. So it's yeah, I, it's, I'm such a cynic. Yeah. Well, um, there there are a number of things where you guys are sort of damned if you do and yeah, damned it, if mm-hmm. you don't. The I mean, the Empress, the, the role of the Empress is one of them. People will complain mm-hmm. if she's this distant because she isn't doing anything, and as soon as she's actively involved. People will complain that she's doing st- that the active things that she's doing yeah. are stupid. Uh, um, I kind of on 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 most feedback, my position is to listen to the feedback, take it to heart. Um, and if someone is unhappy, then I have to recognize that they that he or she is unhappy, even if it is the kind of thing where I'm like, all the facts are in front of me. I look at what we did. I do yeah, it, it again. looks fine. Um, and I'm never glad that someone is unhappy. I, I strive for the ideal that will never happen because, you know, that's the only thing worth kind of progressing towards of trying to make everybody satisfied. Um, so it's always good to know that people are unhappy with the way we're going on some issues or the way we're portraying certain characters or clans or whatnot. It doesn't mean I can necessarily do something about it, but it doesn't mean I haven't listened and haven't pondered whether there's something I can do that's feasible. This particular concern may actually be one of them, but it's good that I've heard it. Anything else about that? My my questions will devolve into IMRE and or well, pirate yeah, questions, it, so don't, don't yeah, worry it, about it. It, yeah. it, it occurred, well, I can ask, but we yeah. needed to ask this of Sean, but I, I think the general question was, uh, yeah, why, why the monkey? Well, yeah, like, yeah, not that I care about IMRE showing up, but yeah, why is IMRE not allowed to show up? But we've had multiple fictions with the stupid drunken monkey. I think that's a really awesome drunken monkey. I, uh. <laughs> um, I, I, none of those appearances has ever been instituted or asked for by me. Um, oh, no, those were all Kote choices by your yeah. your people, Trevor. Don't look at me. Your, <laughs> my my choice was vetoed. <laughs> um, so 
it's a matter of what happens to pique the interest of the particular author writing a particular fiction. Um, and once some th once the first draft is in in front of me, I I generally kind of take the the view of is it appropriate and necessary for me to ask for a change, right? And as a corollary, corollary when something is being outlined, there are certain times where I'm like, and don't go there. And Ayamari is kind of on the don't go there list. The the and, and for good or ill. The, <laughs> the, the, Again, other was, the other was not at the first instance. Um, that's, that's just how the process works, right? Like, once someone has d devoted a lot of time and energy and, and effort into drafting something, I don't normally go, well, let's just change that, because yeah. I don't agree with that. It needs to be more than that for me to warrant making the request. And... I see now, Trevor. What you needed to do was ask for Ayamari to be chosen during Kote season when Sean was on those ridiculously short deadlines, and Fred wouldn't have been able to go back to him yeah. and say change it. Not that <laughs> Sean would have agreed to it in the first yeah. place. <laughs> and, and, and on a realistic level, that is pretty close to what might have happened, other than you know red flags coming up for certain characters. Anything else about? The pirate squad? No, no. no I'll <laughs> contain myself. <laughs> and now, Phoenix players, you didn't send me any questions, and when I looked on your boards, there didn't seem to be any huge pressing matters that you had. Now, that may just may mean that you're uh, happy with how everything has gone. I mean, there were some obvious things that we're not going to get answers to, like, what happens with Masahiko and the Dark Oracle cool hunt? Stuff. Or, yeah, or... What's going to happen with that war that you have with the Scorpion? But I, I think Fred opined that he could just ramble about the Phoenix without needing a question. Yeah. One, so. Yeah. Um, one of the observations that I have, like CCG-wise, is Phoenix players, even right now, I think Phoenix is kind of in a good space design feel-wise, and that even when their decks are bad, even when their decks are bad, they feel really cool and fun to play and feel very Phoenix. Yeah. And that helps a lot. Yeah. And when the decks are good... They're good, and they feel very Phoenix. Um, Story-wise, I think we're working a little bit on overall positioning of Phoenix in terms of making sure everyone gets what the Phoenix do. The, the Inquisitors, I think, help a lot on that, because they help underscore that, the, that Shugenja are priests, not wizards. And Shugenja are valued within Rokugan society for their priestly duties, not for spellcasting per se, although it's it's useful and certainly no one you know uh, dismisses that. So when you look at the development of the Inquisitors as kind of both in story and CCG wise, as these are guardians of purity, and that's important to the Empire, and that's important to the Phoenix. Um, I think you get a good highlight of kind of the way the Phoenix look at look at and relate to the rest of the empire in a way more players can kind of get latch onto and kind of appreciate than before i have not heard any like really repeated complaints by phoenix players uh i haven't heard that many complaints by players of other clans directed at phoenix there's there's always some the 
Phoenix are just a bunch just a bunch of Maho users with better PR kind of meme. But I think players get that like if you look through the history of the CCG and the history of the timeline in the Empire, um, for the most part, the Phoenix are a clan that are idealistic in the sense of things can be better. We should be actively taking steps to move things towards being better. And that means certain things are what we deem to be acceptable risk or acceptable cost for the projected payout. Sometimes they're wrong. And that's how, say, their pacifism enters into the equation, in that they kind of see it as, well, some things aren't worth killing over. And some things are. And you kind of notice that Phoenix have skirmish mode and nuke. Everything yeah. is in mode. And one of the reasons they're reluctant to go to war is they don't really have a middle setting. So they can't escalate incrementally. If it goes beyond a certain point, it's them or us. And as a result, they're, they're not eager to go for their swords because they know how it's going to end. Oh, so is that how the Mantis managed to survive? The Phoenix stayed in skirmish mode the whole time? Well, sometimes it... We just paid them <laughs> off. But keep in mind, too, they don't always win. It's just that that's just what they have to do. Like, you, there is no stun setting on a lightning bolt. Right? And it's not necessarily overwhelming power. It's just that beyond a certain level, you can't control... It's not finally. so much power, it's a commitment level. Yeah. Right? So, is this worth and as Shugenja, they're in tuned spiritually. They know the consequences emotionally, physically, and so on on both both sides in a war. So they, they, they don't... They kind of see it as, well, yes, I am prepared to kill for my lord, and yes, I'm prepared to kill for honor, but I kind of have a better grasp of what that really means. And so as a clan, they're a little more like gunsha. Um... And and stuff like that I'd like to explore more in fiction. I think it's a really interesting aspect of the clan that is often overlooked or, or not highlighted as much as we could. So certainly there's there's stuff to continue working on, but I think Phoenix is in a pretty good general positioning in terms of how well they're per- like how well they're perceived and how well they're understood. It's just there's nuances to work on. Okay. We're gonna break Again, before the file size gets entirely out of hand. Okay, we're back with the the third chunk of this interview. And actually, Fred, while you were talking about the the Phoenix, it sparked a question which isn't specifically about the Phoenix, but uh, as far as being overall satisfied with their lot in things, the Phoenix were one of the clans that actually achieved victory at a cost in both honor and glory in the last Mega game. And that was also true of the other two clans on Rokugan's northern border, the Dragon and the Unicorn. Will Rokugan be expanding out to the north as well, or are they just going to be dealing with the Ivory Kingdoms? Um, I'm trying to just rack my brain. To the immediate north of Rokugan is the mountain range. So it's it's just less commercially viable and desirable to go immediately north, obviously, right? So the question is, next iteration over, is it worthwhile? Um, I'm just racking my memory to make sure I've got the facts right, 
I think the focus is the Ivory Kingdoms, at least for the early, at least for the parts that I can remember, which would be the next few months to a year offhand. Um, whether or not they decide to go immediately north, well, I don't think there's anything precluding it. I don't think there's anything driving us towards doing it specifically. Um, I, I narratively would rather not be going to two separate external yeah. settings at one time. So I am more leaning and inclined towards every kingdom. I'll say the second external setting is a, a bunch of empty planes where the Yogin yeah. used to live. <laughs> so I'm just not seeing the narrative possibility there rather than logistically could they. So even if they do, I'm not sure if it would, it would get that much story time. Okay. Uh, my scorpion question, like my lion question, largely got eaten up somewhere earlier when we were talking about the the festering pit. Sure. Uh, we like clever? to think of it as the festering manhole. Festering manhole, yeah. Well, I was, I, I, I have it called the festering, I have it festering pit parenthetical <laughs> of Cali Ma question mark because no, you had the festering it's pit now of the manhole. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> the, the manhole. The manhole. Now, that's I think. good. I yeah. think that's going to be the official unfortunate we're, like. We're going to get teenage mutant ninja Kappa coming out and running the mug. Uh, yes. I don't know. Do you have any? What What are scorpion players asking about these days? Do we have any idea? Uh. As I don't hate Scorpion, uh, the War of the Twins, I think it was called. That'll be covered yeah, in due course sort of thing. Yeah, well, now here we go. I just read the, the Second City Fiction, or the, you know, the one in the starter deck. And uh, now I'm, well, knowing basically almost nothing about it, I'm rather uh, excited about the whole betrothal of the champions because that seems it's, it's different right i mean mm -hmm. we've never done that before it could be mm -hmm. interesting and apparently those scorpion might be screwing it up so the question is exactly how badly am i going to hurt the scorpion if you guys write them screwing it up well it depends on if you can like succeed right <laughs> maybe the scorpion will just say hey we didn't hurt you enough and we want to dig the knife in deeper um <laughs> the scorpion motives are always ones that should be suspect to the rest of the empire over a thousand years of cultural training says you know what even if even if there's no evidence a scorpion were involved that's evidence a scorpion were involved um so they have a massively good pr department because they like it that way I, yeah so I, that's uh it's very if, apocalypse now right so you know uh the scorpion, everyone suspects a scorpion, right? It's the opposite of the Spanish Inquisition in that respect. Um, so... I can't believe you went there. <laughs> <laughs> and I did it with dry delivery. Um, so Good thing, you better hope, somebody better hope Sean doesn't listen to this, because didn't he threaten to kill someone off every time? I, I believe that reference? was... Brian, yeah, and Sean, yeah, oh, changing thought, the, well, no, the write-up, yeah. Yeah, one of them hated it, one of them, one of them's like, never reference this again, and the other uh, one's like, oh, this is hilarious, I want to reference it all the time. Yeah, but basically, would the Scorpion interfere in the betrothal of two other clan, like, two other clan champions? If, it, if they felt that they needed to do so, sure, because there's a Scorpion. Why would they feel it was necessary to do so? Well, they wouldn't do it casually, right? And all this is assuming, like, all your speculation has any grounds in reality whatsoever. 
right? Well, I guess I'm assuming though that the fiction does depict the scorpion trying to screw with relations between mm-hmm. the dragon and mm-hmm. the unicorn. That's right. I guess it doesn't specifically say That's that right. they're trying to break out the betrothal, but I'm just putting the scorpion yes. players on notice. Yes, but the scorpion players... And scru- more importantly, the fictional scorpion on yep. notice, because... You know, that makes sense. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the scorpions screw with the relations of other clans all the time. So when you ask, so when you tell them, stop, you know, stop screwing up, you know, these, these, these diplomatic talks or these negotiations or stop screwing up that wedding, the first thing the scorpion thinks, because, he, you know, he's wearing a mask, you can't tell what he's actually think, you know, yeah, saying, yeah. is, which one? <laughs> so, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Will the scorpion stop being scorpion? No. <laughs> it's weird. I don't even want to ask you what's going to happen with that because I just want to see what's going to happen with that. Without, uh, you know, knowing what the, the end point is. Okay, mm-hmm. well, so there you go, scorpion. Apparently, you get. Do you have any random points? Of, there you go. For all the clans we've talked about, like we did for the crab, crane, mm-hmm. and lion, did you do you have any more interesting tidbits you know what style of kimono nancy perhaps you know is going to be worn in mantis lands or will the different weather in the ivory kingdoms and the effects that that has on fashion in the ivory kingdoms trickle black into rokugan proper perhaps only five layered kimono instead of seven that'll be difficult because of the inherent rokugani uh, conservatism on the other hand <clears throat> money does talk <laughs> and if people of great wealth start showing up in, you know, cutting edge exotic fashions a little bit that is going to trickle through it, it's a, you know, I, part of it is a, you know, I was going to say real world question, but of course Rogani isn't the real world. Um, part of it is <laughs> a setting question of how much will that show up. Mm-hmm. And the other part of this of it is, you know, how good are we going to be at coordinating with the art director to actually showing this? Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a couple of, really delightful uh, conversations with uh, Adrian and you know him and the story team are on the same wavelength on a lot of issues but that carries with the danger that there are so many cool things we could do at a certain point it's like we have a list of 12 really cool things we could do but we only have time to do three of them so which three are we going to choose? So, you know, showing how the, you know, colonist expansion affects Rokugani clothing is one thing we could do with <laughs> the art department. But, you know, there's a lots of other things we could be doing with the art department as well. So whether it actually makes the cut is, a really, is kind of hard to say right now. Uh, you, you only either have room for the Daigatsu Hotaku-inspired fashion or the Ivory Kingdom's fashion, but not both. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, now we have a Moshi, Moshi with a bikini, too. So. Yes, yes. <laughs> Man, I missed Sean again on my first question about the, the spider, which I had... Which at, is? Was the notion of the spider generated for story reasons or for brand reasons? I think I asked you that off yeah. after our interview, and you're like, oh, you'd have to ask Sean about that. Yeah, and I still have to ask Sean about that, and um, you might have to you like, ask you- Nico about that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, it's, there's always kind of combination issue. Yeah, well, because I know Shadowlands was always one of the less popular factions, mm-hmm. and for all the fact that, I mean, in its 
no secret that I have not been a fan of some of the shenanigans the Spider have been able to pull off without consequence in the story. I, I don't think that there's any denying that they are far more popular a faction. I mean, there are far more people mm -hmm. who identify as Spider than there ever were who consider themselves, you know, Shadowlands Horde players. So, I mean, it's certainly been successful on that front. Well, here's a semi-related question, which we we'll probably won't answer either. It's funny how that works. One of the criticisms that that people have had about the spider is the sort of thing that I, I was talking about. You know, people are like, oh, how did they move an army into Roke again or build a Roking without anybody noticing or pull off the Knight of Assassins or, or do this or that without any kind of, you know, without getting detected or much in the way of consequences. I understand that you pay attention to criticisms regardless, but do you lump those in the category of, oh yeah, that's a legitimate criticism of what we did, or is that in the category of, well, no matter what we do, people are going to complain, so what you going to do? Both. Uh, I, I think there's always, we could, in theory, have filled in more detail, underpinning, reasoning, rationale, and so on, as to why certain things happened a certain way, and Spider got away with it, or Spider pulled it off successfully. Um, I think part of the problem is, for narrative reasons, we needed them to get a few things in a row. And players become increasingly less accepting of them when they're all close to each other. And, and understandably. I also, and, and part of that is just because then it feels like there's an imbalance of too much is going one way. I think that's legitimate. I grapple a little bit with how we could have addressed that, given the constraints of like how many fictions we put out at a time, and how long are they, and how much lead time did we have, and so on. But, but I think that part of it is, you know, fair criticism, fair point. Um, I also note, not as excuse, not as justification, but as, you know, kind of related, in, you know, related observation, that players are generally more willing to come up with explanations when their sides are winning. Right? And how does that play into the spider particular issue? The spider got a few, like, beanies in a row. I would have liked to have spaced out other things that were intervening to offset that. But even looking back on it, you know, in hindsight and trying to avoid repeating mistakes, I'm not sure how that would have been possible. But I think there is a fair observation to be. Do you think that the recent resurgence in uh, interest in the Colat actually might be because they're just jealous of how much more effective the spider are than, were than they are? No, no, no. Uh, I don't think that's the end of it at all. Um, no, I, I think yeah. that it has entirely separate roots I, yeah. for that. Yeah, uh, that there was a a joke. Jokes are funny, Chris. Jokes are funny. Um, <laughs> How do I tell them? <laughs> like, like that was funny. Um, uh, the and for reasons that are completely obvious to people who attend Gen Con, um, the Colot always experience a brief resurgence right around Gen Con. <laughs> At least in terms of player interest. It has to do with alcohol. Yes. Now, this year, the Jeweled Championships continue to include the Onyx and Obsidian Champions. Now, those story prizes were originally conceived of as these positions that were instituted by Daigatsu as sort of mockeries of the Jade and Emerald Championships. But at least to me them continuing to exist as specifically spider institutions as opposed to, you know, some sort of generic bad guy Bushi mm -hmm. and bad guy Shugenja institutions doesn't make a terrible lot of sense. 
win the spider are a great clan is there going to be any change in the nature of the onyx and obsidian championships over the course of the time jump we're looking at that and the spider are looking at that as well in unit that's kind of it the decisions haven't been made something we have to balance on that is that l5r isn't a pure work of fiction some things happen simply because we're a card game and we have to accommodate tournaments. Um, so like, it's kind of like TV shows are structured so there's a dramatic pause at certain time periods <laughs> to allow for commercials. And our stories are always going to be structured to allow dramatic pauses for tournaments. So we're going to take, you know, in-story things into account when looking like when looking at you know the onyx and the obsidian championship but we also have to look at things like do we still need these as storyline tournaments mm -hmm. and sometimes you just have to say we need these tournaments and we're going to come up with an excuse and it may not be the best excuse at all but those tournaments are going to get run and those story prizes will be available we, for the TA. we can't get yeah, yeah we, we can't get away from the medium that we're working in, and our medium is game fiction. Maybe in an ideal universe you'd write it without them at all, but I mean, I don't think that it damages anything to have an individual who is called the Obsidian Champion, who is, you know, the biggest, baddest, tainty guy on the planet and in opposition mm -hmm. to the Empire, or in a similar sort of thing for a Shugenja, is not, not so much in an organized clan specific way but as a more informal king of the hill kind of way most wanted bandito sort of thing <laughs> we could change this so it was like you know the the you know biggest baddest flower arranger instead of the biggest we baddest, have that it's tainted the, uh, bougie. it's the amethyst champion no no that's the courtier uh, oh. Turquoise is turquoise, arts. There we turquoise go. is arts as a whole. Gisei. But we could say <laughs> <laughs> the uh, no Gisei is not the uh, the turquoise champion. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. I want to actually say that uh, I was actually pleased that uh, Sean chose turquoise for that because it was my suggestion because it's the birthstone for December, which is the month I was born in. Um, when we decided we were going to have a championship for artisans, uh, we were having a story team conference on IRC, and we were all coming up with random uh, gemstones and semi-precious <laughs> stones. And I'm going, it's like, turquoise, turquoise! Yeah. So that's how turquoise championship got named, is I lobbied for it. Which is much better than my really stupid... <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 would, I was throwing out gems and medals. It was pretty much like yeah. raw brainstorming. And Mm -hmm. You know, nobody really wants to be the aluminum champion. <laughs> <laughs> the aluminium. Yeah, I know. We would have had terrible pronunciation wars on the forums. Yeah. So, on the forums, Ukyo, is that how he pronounces his handle? Yeah, Ukyo. Ukyo. Yeah, oh, that's how you pronounce it. Uh, that's yeah. how I pronounce it anyway. Yeah, has made a, a very big point uh, recently of posting wherever possible about the, the Shadow Dragon. Uh, and that is something that remains up in the air. You had this pseudo-alliance between Daigatsu and the Shadow Dragon, and the, you know, Goju and, and such were sort of under Daigatsu's command. And we know that they're 
going to continue to be in some sense part of this part of the spider clan because they're going to be one of their themes for emperor edition are there any sort of updates on what exactly is going on with that or the spider just continuing to use them with no one really having a clue what the shadow dragon is actually Shadow, doing. Tr- shadow dragon up to something what are you talking well, about it would be other way the shadow dragon people using need to them. keep in mind is when you're an immortal dragon you can afford to be patient on things yeah yeah and also you know l5r has been around for 15 years and if we want it to be around for another 15 years we have to save some people for reserve yep so we you know anytime people are saying it's like well, but we've got this cool guy hanging around. Why aren't you doing anything with him now? It's like, well, maybe we want to do something with him later. Yep. Case of emergency bla- break glass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and and it's not like the Shadow Dragon isn't obviously active in some sense. Right? You've got Goju running around. That yeah. that kind of lends itself to certain info. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously he's got some game up. Right. And, you know. And he, may, and it may, he may just be amusing himself. Yeah. You don't know, right? Because, oh, look, it's 20 years. Oh, no. He was, yeah. you know, he woke up from his nap. Now what? Okay. So we've got the unicorn, which, you know, may be the last bit of this you have to suffer through. <laughs> I like the ponies. Well, now, the thing that has been all a buzz on the unicorn forums and was basically all of the questions I got from... Unicorn players are, are along the line of, so what's up with Chagatai's kid not being the clan champion, and what's up with the Khan and the clan champion not being the same person, and maybe I, something about Shinjo? I believe as soon as we hit the appropriate preview for EE, I think it would be, Yeah, it'll be clear. And I, I don't think it'll be at least clear enough that the further speculation is informed speculation. <laughs> and I think those questions are asked by the unicorn in story and answered to their satisfaction. I think players will see the logic. I'm not prepared to like give spoilers on that right now. Um, but I think once it starts coming out, it'll make sense. Uh, my other unicorn question was really just a dragon question. <laughs> funny how that always ends up being the case. Yeah. Here's actually the question as I wrote it out. Sure. Not that I was planning to literally ask it. Sure. You're going to do something to break up, break up the betrothal between the Unicorn and Dragon Clan champions, aren't you? <laughs> Just because I think it's so interesting. That's, that's not a leading question, is it? You should have to submit your question to Fred so we can edit them so first and see what he'll get asked. You're asking if we're planning on sowing trouble and heartbreak in the Empire? Never. I, yeah. Yeah, right. Next. Yeah. Am I hearing well. this? Like I said, the questions as literally are as written out are not necessarily <laughs> yeah. to be asked. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously we're planning on doing something with him because you don't have two champions. I mean, champions betrothed without planning on doing something like that. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, sometimes we do do happy endings just to break up the monotony. <laughs> but as to whether this is going to be one of those times, you know, why should we spoil the surprise now? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Better start winning some tournaments. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as I believe I was discussing with Sean and Fred earlier, my uh, already limited ability to win tournaments is uh, reduced <laughs> by the the time spent on the <laughs> the podcast. Well, clearly, you know, you know, you need to start re- recruiting recruiting closet romantics to your side 
and have them go out and win tournaments for you. It seems like the, the most important foundation thing would be like, I need dragon players and unicorn players to be at least somewhat enthused by the notion. So if it does come down to some sort of story line choice, it reduces the chance that, you know, you ask the, the top unicorn or the top dragon or whatever, and they're like, eh, no. screw this. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's all of the things I had my silly little notes oh. about. Do you have anything you wanted to ask him, Trevor? I'll contain myself. <laughs> you two have any exciting anecdotes, messages you wanted to get out, players you wanted to, uh, you know, mock? That no. sort of thing? <laughs> I mean, no. you, especially, you know, I, those of us <laughs> on the podcast, you're totally allowed to do that. Yeah. I, mean, I, I know you're I'm, not actually going to take shots at I'm other people on the. I think I've gotten my digs in on TV tropes. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm pretty cool with I just like uh, I like the players Even the ones who disagree strongly Have generally been very polite When coming up to me and talking to me We, we are trying to please and, and we definitely I think every single member of the team Started as a fan right? We, we all are still fans of the setting And you know, we we are open to listening, and and like I said, we can't always accommodate, and we won't always agree, but we'll at least hear you out. And you know, sometimes it is difficult to, particularly on certain issues where you can agree or disagree, or a champion can choose left or right, but not both. But hopefully, you find the characters engaging and the setting vivid, and interesting in which to like be a part of. I think what I'd like to say is sometimes people come up to me and they, say, and they say, it's like, oh, it must be so terrible here listening to people criticize your stories. And actually, it really isn't. Because on the one hand, I know that some of my stories are better written than others. And, you know, that's just the way the world works. Even the best writer in the world sometimes produces better stories and sometimes produces lesser stories. And I'm nowhere near the best writer in the world. So, you know, sometimes people criticize a story for being weak in a certain area, and they're right. It was weak in that certain area. And also, even if you're a very good writer, there's always a question of reader-writer mismatch. Because some people like to read certain styles of stories and dislike certain styles of stories. and if you run into a reader who doesn't like your style of story, it doesn't matter how good of a story is, they don't like it. And it's not that they're wrong. It's like, you know, it's like I can't stand beats. So, you know, it's not a problem if people don't like my fiction because they don't like my fiction. It's not really a reflection on me. It means that either they didn't like the story or that particular story wasn't to their taste. Um, I have a friend who is a really good writer, and she absolutely hates the kind of story where the narrator is withholding information from the reader in order to make a dramatic reveal at a certain part of the story. And I've read stories where I thought that was handled badly, and I didn't like it, but I've read other stories that do that, which I absolutely loved. So... You know, there's fixed stories that I love and she hates, and it's not that either of us are wrong, it's just an issue of style. So, I don't think anyone should ever be criticized for not liking a piece of fiction, because it's an individual thing, and it's okay. Um, if you're a writer and you have any degree of professionalism at all, 
you recognize, you know, sometimes there's mismatches and sometimes you just didn't do a very good story and that's the end. That's the difference. I'm not professional. So sometimes <laughs> I see people dislike things for reasons I think are dumb and then I think they're just wrong. Right. <laughs> well, you're certainly allowed to disagree still. <laughs> Everyone is entitled to their opinion. That doesn't mean it's a good opinion right. or an opinion well, that I will not make fun of them for having, yeah, but they're entitled I, to have it. You know, I mean, you know, there's there's always, you know, outlier cases where, you know, there've been a fact where, you know, someone criticizes fiction of mine because it didn't explain X. And actually, I did explain X. I had a fiction once where a character asked, "What about X?" and another character in the story put in an explanation. <laughs> and I still had readers going, it's like, but what about X? And it's like, um, X was in there. How can you read the story and not know it? So, I mean, that's a, a situation where they really were wrong because the yeah. fiction really did address that. But, you know, that's an outlier. That's, a, you know, one of those weird situations that, you know, they just crop up on the far end of the probability distribution and it really doesn't affect the main body of the evidence. Okay. I think we're finished up here. I hope you liked it, gentle listeners, because uh, I missed my RPG session tonight. <laughs> Life's tough. You, you ungrateful, ungrateful. <clears throat> this has been a Strange Assembly interview with the Legend of the Five Ring story team, or at least certain portions of it, here from Gen Con 2011. You can check out more of Strange Assembly on iTunes or at our website, www.strangeassembly.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Twitter, Strange Assembly, in both places. And if you need to get a hold of me to tell me how my opinions are terribly wrong, you can do that at chris at strangeassembly.com. Uh, for Trevor Valentine, I'm Chris Stevenson, and you've been listening to Strange Assembly.